We're back. It's another week of Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We have done two days, and now, Tom, it is time to dive into day three. It's been a great start, great half of Softball Media Days, and now the back half. Yes. Loaded. Man. I mean, first off, we'll get to day three in just a second. We've got a mailbag. We've got unnecessary rankings that we're going to provide. I'm sure we'll get into a little off the wall. Somehow the mailbag is combined with off the wall. Some of the <laughs> questions in the mailbag were off the wall. <sighs> it's, I, it's December, people. How are we off the wall? I looked at you across Coleman Coliseum as I sent you a picture. And I said, Tom, I, I have things. <laughs> I have things to say. Also, just, just a, a crazy time. And we thank everybody for, for tuning in to the first week, the first two days of Softball Media Days. The reason we release it right about now is so that we can get it out before all the Christmas stuff. And then bowl games and basketball is playing on the most insane days they possibly can. And we just want to make sure that it is out to the public. So if you've listened, thank you. If you're saving it, then that's fine. We have two months. Understandable. Yeah, there's plenty of time. This is sometimes it's kind of a downtime, but not this year. No. There's stuff all day, every day. We hope that you enjoy day three, which we will get to right now. But make sure that you follow and subscribe and do all the Twitter things. Leave a review if it's nice. Day three. So don't, don't demand your money back, please, because we have nothing for you. <laughs> it's free. I'm trying to get tickets to the playoff. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to fly at 1 a.m. from Birmingham wow. to California. Yeah. Hint, not possible. <laughs> it's only like a three hour. I mean, it's only a three day drive. Uh, honestly, not the most outlandish thing that you've ever suggested to me in regards to driving. But... <laughs> I digress. It can be done. It can be done. That's all I'm saying. All right. So day three, we've got Florida, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. There's a very specific reason why I paired these four schools together. Florida, the biggest question mark, perhaps, in the league, and we'll talk to Tim Walton coming up in just a bit. I really have no idea what we're going to get from Florida. There's a world where Florida is your SEC champion at the end of a year, and it wouldn't surprise anybody. Right. There's a world where they're bottom half, and it wouldn't surprise anybody. Yeah, they're they're Florida, so you kind of assume the fifty fifty type things will probably go Florida's way because that's what you know they make their own they make their own luck because they're, they've always been good. Uh, but there are so many question marks that kind of they might take over from Kentucky as the enigmas of the league this year. Right, and we're gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, and our interview with Tim Walton is thorough, but. I still don't really know where I'm going to put Florida in my standings. And I, I think we'll see also from the interview that there's a lot of stuff that's just, it's unknown to them in Gainesville right yeah. now too. Yeah. Just trying to figure it all out. Yes. Georgia, biggest threat to Tennessee, perhaps. And I think that this is a Georgia team that has been working towards this moment. You're stepping into your spotlight. If you're Georgia, they went to the world series probably way earlier than they should have a few seasons ago with all those freshmen last year, had they not played Florida state, they might've gone right back to the world series. Now this year, all those kids have grown up and they have a chance to win the title. Yeah. You, you got to think that everything that has been, been, been built at Georgia has been moving toward this season. Like this is the year we'll see if they can take advantage. 
LSU, the biggest eyebrow raise. I'm still waiting on LSU to actually be LSU again. That they have had much more talent than their final standings have represented. It's been a hot second since LSU's been to OKC. Yeah. And not, I mean, they've gone to and out. They, you know, they're, they are a team that seems to have all the pieces, but they haven't all come together the last few years. And we'll see if Beth Trina and company can get it moving in the right direction here this year. And finally, Texas A&M, the SEC's biggest wild card. Who's to say A&M kind of, frankly, surprised everybody with what they did in the conference last year. I think they were pretty steadily bottom three pick last season and, and came right in the middle of the pack. What are they going to be this year? I have no idea. We'll find out. Yeah. Way overachieved last year from what everybody's projection was. Was that just a, you know, a, a bump coming in, new coach, new everything, and, and you just get a fresh look and you kind of overachieve? Or what is that really, you know, something that's been built to where they're going to be able to use it as a jumping off point toward to where they're not just being in the middle of the pack? Are they going to break out of the middle of the pack into you know, the top half. We'll see. Also, and we'll get there, lots of laughter in that interview with Churchill Ford. Just, oh, wow. Just lots of giggles. It was great. It Good was times. Fun time. Yes. Yes, indeed. But, Tom, we start with Tim Walton, our pal from Gainesville. Speaking of giggles. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> oh, but I, there's no transition. Let's just hear the audio. Here's Florida head coach Tim Walton starting off day three of softball media days. Let's roll right along with Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson, pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Florida Gators, Tim Walton. Coach, always good to see you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me. Coach, before we start on all the softball, and there is plenty of softball to talk about, we have to address uh, some of the stories that came from your friend Tony Baldwin when we chatted with him. I've got to ask you about your driving in Ireland. Are, are you the new like getaway driver? Yeah, some somehow. So obviously, when you go to Europe, you're driving on the wrong side of the road, or you know, obviously you're you're driving on the right side of the of the vehicle on the wrong side of the road. So it's like double a kind of double edged sword. Well, one we're in France in 2019. Uh, we're outside of Paris, and um, we didn't have enough drivers. So I was like, I'll drive. I got in a van driving on the wrong side of the road. I got, it was a stick shift at that. So I'm driving on the wrong side with the wrong hand, riding on the wrong, and it was crazy. So I took the team, but we had three vans, I think at the time, we had two drivers and I drove, got back. I went through roundabouts because everything in Europe's roundabouts. I mean, there's so many roundabouts. So got back to the hotel, did that a couple of times. So all of a sudden I became the experienced European driver. Fast forward to 2023, we get a group chat message. Hey, can anybody drive? And all of a sudden, everybody goes, well, Tim Walton drove in France once. So, yes, I'm the experienced getaway driver. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it it all turned out good. Uh, the roads in Ireland are super narrow. And um, uh, needless to say, I got both vehicles back to the airport unscathed. Um, there were a couple scary moments. But other than that, it was all uh, all in good fun. I will say, Coach, I've been to Ireland a couple times, and the thing people don't really know is what you're talking about, the size of the roads. It's beautiful to look at, you know, the walls on the sides, and it's it's really quite spectacular. Uh, it can get really tight. 
I'm from Southern California. And so one of the best drives in Southern California is called the Pacific Coast Highway Drive. So PCH, you come down from uh, you, you come down from Salinas down to the coast and you go down Big Sur all the way down to, you know, Malibu and uh, Santa Barbara all the way down into, you know, whatever, Newport, Huntington Beach area. It would be imagine driving on that, but on the wrong side of the road, but half the distance uh, or half the width of the lanes while also trying to catch the scenery of the beautiful ocean or in this case, as it, the, the, the the sides of the mountain. I mean, it's it, a little bit scary. White, I won't say I did. I did not one hand drive at all. It was two hand white knuckle drive the whole way. Um, but like I said, we made it. <laughs> perfect. We love good form. Well, and also you mentioned the West Coast. That's a perfect transition into last year, obviously uh, closing out the season out there in the Stanford Regional. I know that it was a roller coaster ride. There were some good moments. There were some bad moments. But but when you look back at last year with the Florida Gators, what were your main takeaways? Well, you know, it, it, I, of all irony, you know, I didn't even think about this until you just asked it. But, you know, we're down to our last um, down to our last out. Uh, Sarah Longley hits a home run against um, Loyola Marymount out in California. It was a you know, big bomb, and she had a great – she finished off her career great as a catcher, you know, converted shortstop. Um, so that was a cool moment. Uh, Katie Kistler hit her first home run last year um, at, at that Stanford Regional. We had some other moments. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I may have got kicked out of that game um, and the very next batter that comes up after I get kicked out hits a double. So, you know, just, just things like that. Those are, you know, I'm not to say that I, I got kicked out for a reason. I, I didn't even actually try to get kicked out. So it is what it is. Uh, but when your players can, you know, feel the, 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 the energy that you have for them and the passion that you have for them. And then, and, um, you know, that's what it's all about. And I think there was some cool, we didn't pitch very well last year and that's, that's, that's easy to document. You can look at the ERA and the run scored and all the things, but, the fact that our players were able to compartmentalize the defense to the offense, I think that was one of the most impressive things that I saw is that, you know, we were down by five. Next thing you know, we're up by four. You know, we've done, we did some pretty cool things. Um, and, and, and again, I'm one of those persons because when you're, when you coach for as long as you coach and you play teams that quote unquote, aren't supposed to beat you. And, um, and you hear their cheers after the game when they played you tight, like you beat them four to three or you, you, they, they scored a run and they cheered, you know, whatever the, I've never been one of those that, oh my gosh, yeah, you, you, you were close. You, good try. You know, one of those, I've always been about being very practical. Um, and I think that there were some things that we, we got better. I mean, Skylar Wallace had one of the best seasons of any college softball player in the history of the game. I mean, just the statistics, the, the video game numbers that she threw up again, um, her play at shortstop was, I mean, I mean, she's a first team All-American shortstop. And I think anybody that knows Skyler to say she's a first team All-American softball player, but a first team All-American shortstop, that's one of the hardest accomplishments there is in the entire country. And she accomplished that. So I'm really proud of that. Kendra Falby had a great postseason again and a great season. Um, Avery Gells turned it up for a little bit for us last year as well. Um, she got better. Um, but I think overall, I think that that's the, the there were some bright spots um, you know, we hit. We had a good offensive season for, for typically when you give up that many runs, your offense is going to suffer because you just can't you just know that you're going to give up runs and it's harder to hit that way. Um, but I thought that we were able to, like I said, compartmentalize and and really focus on you know scoring runs and being good in the um, being good in that that um, being good in the batter's box, scoring as many runs. We didn't have a lot of wasted 
you know, opportunities uh, that we did, that we maximized the offense. It was, I don't remember what the ranking was, but it was one of our better offenses, a better offensive years, um, especially here in the last couple of years, but it's been, been, it was a good one. Yeah. And you mentioned Skylar. We'll talk about her in just a moment, but before we look at the roster, I want to also discuss the coaching staff changes. Uh, You made a change to the pitching coach position. You brought in Chelsea Dobbins from North Carolina, who had some really impressive arms while she was up there in Chapel Hill. What was it about coach Dobbins that stuck out to you as you were going through that hiring process? Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that when you, when you look at, you know, you just look at where you're at. And I look, I do the same thing with myself. Like, you know, a few years ago, I was doing all the offensive stuff and trying to, and I just felt like I was just getting, the polls are so much greater now than they've ever been. I don't have enough, I just don't have enough time in the day to spend the quality time that I need with every one of our hitters. And, you know, I passed the reins over to Eric and gave him responsibilities to manage the swings on a daily basis. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm a self-evaluator. Like if I'm not doing something that I feel like I can do very well or someone else can do it better, we're going to do it. So that was the, the the look in the mirror. We just had to get better. We needed to do something a little bit different. And um, and it had nothing to do really with with Mike. I, I don't think I equipped him probably with the, you know, we it, and statistics would show that too. I didn't equip him with a, you know, a first team All-American pitcher that would make any pitching coach look really, really good. He did a great job in managing and pitch calling and prepping and statistically, you know, preparing us for defensive shifts and situations. He did a fantastic job. But the thing, the thing that stuck out to, to me about Chelsea uh, it's just her ability to 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 do so many things at North Carolina, and um, you know, Coach uh, Papa retired. Uh, Chelsea was a finalist for that job at North Carolina, and Donna called me the day that you know, Chelsea wasn't named the head coach, and just we talked for an hour. And um, you know, I've known Donna a long time. Um, just what Chelsea meant to Donna and the North Carolina program and to the pitchers and. Um, you know, I thought she was a perfect fit for what we, where we were at, what we needed with some young pitchers coming in. They, they need to really get a good foundation and she's a foundation builder. And, um, she's also very, um, uh, objective, which I like. In other words, um, it's one thing to say, well, I think this, I think that I feel this, I feel that I, here's what I'm going to show you. It looks like this, here's what you need to be looking like. And then here's your statistics. Here's your spin rate. Here's your break points. Here's your velocity. So, um, she did a lot of things that I think are necessary in today's day and age of pitching, um, bringing in Keegan Rothrock. Um, you know, Keegan's obviously one of the most decorated um, pitchers of you know all time, especially for us, um, you know, national Gatorade player of the year and Gatorade player of the year in Indiana. She's very, so it was, I was, I, I, I leaned on her a little bit more than you probably would think, making sure that who I hired was going to be um, transitionable for her. Because um, she, she uh, with Mike, the, they had a good relationship. They could bounce ideas off each other and talk and conversate. Um, but also it was important for Chelsea to be connected with some of the pitching coaches out there um, that are teaching some of the young people. Because we have to, to be good. We have to acquire talent. We have to develop talent. We have to acquire talent. Um, and so I think it was really important. So she really hasn't had a, a full time of recruiting yet because um, moving, getting the job, um, having two kids, being married, moving a family. There's just so many pieces to it. She only went out recruiting, I think, like eight days maybe last summer. So giving her an opportunity to recruit full-time and then develop a staff. But um, just there's so many pieces to it. Um, I think the, the really the kind of the separator for me was just the trust and confidence that Donna Papa had in her and what she meant to their program for eight-plus years. 
And we can just dive into the pitching piece as well. Coach, I've been doing this this stat pack for media days every year, and it's the first time I've ever had a team with 0% returning innings pitch. That's a rare thing. It's an all-new staff. You talked about Keegan Rothrock. You're bringing in a couple transfers as well. You've got a, a, a new staff for Florida. This is a completely new pitching staff. How has that gelled with Coach Dobbins? And, and maybe did it even help Coach Dobbins knowing that she had basically a clean slate coming in? I think that part is good. Yeah, I think when you look at it from a, when you look at being able to implement, there's no fight, <laughs> pushback. Like, you know, what we used to do, like, no, we didn't. <laughs> like, so it's, um that part's good. I, re- I mean, I, I can't tell you, and I, again, this is, you know, there, it is what it is. I work so hard to get a transfer pitcher. Like, I mean, when I tell you hard, like, I mean, literally, I work so hard to get a transfer pitcher just to give our young people an opportunity to see what it's like at a high, high level. We brought in um, by by bringing in um, Mackenzie Wooten is a fifth year pitcher from us from Virginia. She didn't pitch a ton at Virginia. Uh, She's going to physical therapy school at Florida. We don't know exactly what kind of role she'll have if she can even make all the road trips because she's in physical therapy school. I mean, it's just different. Um, so we tried to get it. I tried to get a transfer. I mean, I worked, I worked my tail off to get a transfer just to give our young people uh, somebody to lean on, um, for, Hey, what's it like to pitch in the sec? Oh, Hey, what's it like to go to the college world series? Hey, what's it like to, you know, to do this or do that. And so that part was the, probably the only disappointing thing out of me, out of my summer. That was the only one. If I just, I just wanted to have that one veteran arm, you know, whether it was, Riley Trilicek coming back for a fifth year or, you know, whatever it would be. There were so many things we tried to tried to accomplish. It just didn't just didn't fit into the system for for whatever reason. Um, and, and some of it was because of the young arms. Oh, he's got these two freshman arms coming in. And some people just didn't want they, 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 they I don't want to say that they, they just didn't want it. And so it's just that's the only disappointing thing for me. Gotcha. And back to the hiring standpoint, you also brought in our pal Fran, Francesca Inea, All-American. Uh, she's been in the booth for the last couple of years. Now she's in the dugout. This has been something that has suddenly become common in college softball, which is awesome. I love it when our friends are, are people that we can see on the road uh, in these coaching matchups. But but what was it about Fran that, that made her somebody that you called for that third assistant position? And how did that come about? Yeah, I called her in March. So before it even became a, a rule, I mean, before it became you know allowable, I called her in March and said, "This is going to happen. Um, I want to I want to know if you you know um, if this would be something that you'd consider doing is you know to consider coaching with me." And yes, that was what she said. Yes. Well, and then she then we go through the whole scenario, and she goes, "Oh wait, I got to ask Christian. I got to talk to him." Yes. Okay. Well, well, I'll I'll call you back and whatever, but. Uh, you know, she and I have been, you know, very, very close. I mean, I think, uh, I think just over the years, um, you know, she's leaned on me for certain questions and things. And uh, so we've been close. And um, I think that having her here has been, um, been phenomenal. It's just uh, something that I can tell you that having the competitiveness, the juice, the work ethic, uh, she's a winner. I mean, she's a winner. She wants to win. She wants to compete. Um, she's not afraid to speak her mind. Um, she's not afraid to like, you know, have a conversation with me. And I think that's the, the familiarity that we, we, we've, she and I have been in the trenches together. Um, you know, I spent probably between her, Amanda Lorenz and Skylar Wallace. I've personally spent 
more time with the three of them than I probably have combined with 75% of the rest of my players in their career. And I mean, I'm talking like trench stuff, ground balls, fly, like taking Francesca and turning her into an outfielder. And she'd never played outfield in her life. She's a, you know, she's a catcher who tried to play first. And so um, the amount of time that we've spent together um, and then competitively, the losses, the wins, the championships, the home runs, um, you know, and then some time professionally. So after her career here, we I got to coach her and in, in professionally too. And so just, it's been good. Been I mean, been phenomenal. And um, I'm excited. I mean, I, again, I, I said it earlier in an interview I did that, you know, if somehow I can get Amanda Lorenz here on this staff, um, I might just like just sit in the dugout and let those two coach because you're not going to find two more competitive people that want to win, that'll challenge you, that'll work hard. But then the other pieces, they love being there. They love the Gators. And um, there's something to that like that in recruiting. It's one of the most underestimated um probably one of the most underestimated values is do you want to be a gator if you want to be a gator then this is a great place to be because you're going to get somebody who's going to run through a wall francesco would run through a wall for me right now today if i said hey i need you to run through that wall show all right let's do it and um and i'd run through a wall for her too and i think that's i love i love everything she brings she brings some good juice with us oh yeah her energy is incredible and you're right i mean if you had her and amanda lorenz on staff you could go full ceo mode just hey y'all got it it's okay hey guys Francesca got it from the right side uh, and Amanda's got it from the left and two completely <laughs> polar opposite swings, but they both have the same mentality. Uh, they both play for the same travel team too, growing up. So that's kind of a, kind of a funny story there, but uh, long story short. Yeah, you're right. I would be, and I would do it like, listen, I would do it. Um, and I do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Tim Walton, the Florida head coach joining us here for softball media days coach. We have already mentioned Multiple times, the reigning SEC player of the year, Skylar Wallace. You talked about her numbers. I'm looking at them now. I still don't believe them. 19 home runs, 447 batting average, a just stupefying 595 OBP, the stolen bases, the the lack of errors at shortstop, like you talked about earlier, just remarkable. What has she done this offseason to get even better next year, if that's even possible? So. I have all of our, and I, hopefully I have it still, but all of my players follow, I follow them or maybe they follow me or we follow each other on, on Instagram and, and, um, and Twitter. And I don't, I don't, that's, that's about all I do. I don't, I don't even think I do Facebook anymore, but those two, I do more. And every once in a while, I'm not, I'm not like a, I don't live on my phone. So uh, every once in a while I'll pop and I'll see here's Skylar Wallace doing some, some crazy workout. And and I'm like, what, what is she doing today? Oh, she's trying to get herself hurt, it looks like. She's doing some crazy lift. And the next thing you know, she's she's got abs on top of her abs on top of her abs while she's throwing something against the wall. And I'm like, what the heck is this kid doing? And uh, she insanely worked out all summer long. And um, I think a couple things, you know, losing in a regional final, um, even though she first in our program's history, she's the NFCA uh, national player of the year. She was, uh, you know, the finalist um, for the uh, uh, a finalist for the USA softball player of the year award, SEC player of the year. Um, didn't get as many hits in postseason as she'd like. Um, the kids got fire. I mean, she's still got some energy. She's still got stuff she wants to do. But, um, but the, the, the statistic that you said, the, the shortstop play, 
the shortstop play was like, I mean, first team all American shortstop. I mean, come on. That's not even, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Skylar Wallace, but to be a first team all American shortstop is one of the hardest to compliment. I don't think I've ever had a first team all American shortstop. I'm, I'm going to think back to it, but it's a, that's a tremendous accomplishment. One that goes very overrated because it wasn't, she wasn't at large. She was the first team all American shortstop. And um, yeah, I know her offensive statistics, but she played phenomenal. Um, they make DP and they make, you know, all all at large stuff. But first team All-American shortstop, tremendous accomplishment. And she earned every bit of that. I'm telling you, Grace, she worked her tail off. And um, I've never, ever had a, have had a player that works as hard as her on both sides. I've never, like I've never seen it. Um, usually players on game day, games at six, they're going to get here at, you know, probably two, you know, get some swings in. And the kids here at 1230, she wants ground balls. She, I mean, this is, and it's not Tim Walton. It's Skylar Wallace, Skylar Wallace driven coach. I need ground balls. I need to get ready for a game. I need to do that. And she was doing this even the year she had to sit out um, when she couldn't play transferring every game day. She was coach. How am I going to get better? I got to get ground balls. All right, let's get ground balls. I want ground balls at short. Let's take ground balls at first. Oh, let's get ground balls at short. And uh, next thing you know, she's developed herself into being one of the best players in the if not one of the best athletes in the world. I mean, the kid's amazing. And to your point, you know, we still follow each other on Instagram. And I came across, I think it was a day in the life video that she posted. And I watched and I was like, my gosh, she has to be exhausted. <laughs> I'm I'm ex like, it's funny. Yesterday we worked out. We did our, we did, we, we have individuals this week. We're not throwing this week. We, we, I try to protect the arm. So we, we work backwards from the first, the first full day of practice, throwing live to bases. We work back and give them, you know, X amount of time off um, from the end of our fall to the beginning of our spring. And, um, and I, and she goes up, oh, well, I haven't taken a ground ball. And, you know, I think we were off for 10 days or whatever the Thanksgiving break ended up being. Uh, she was good. And um, she goes, oh yeah, I'm exhausted. I'm like, what are you exhausted from? Yeah, my Thanksgiving break. And I can only imagine the polls, you know, the, the, I don't have an agent, but she's got an agent and uh, she does so many things. And um, she's just, she's, she's, a, she's amazing. Um, she comes from a really good family. They're very supportive. They're very competitive. They're very honest. I, I love the honesty of them. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm going to show my age here. You know, she's got a boyfriend. His name's Jake. And I know that's probably going to, you know, break some people's hearts out there and think her boyfriend's name's Jake. Cool guy. I look up in the stands and there's Jake. He's up in the stands next to Skylar's dad watching her at bats. Like they get to the, to the same spot, like almost every at bat when she comes up and I can, I can, it's in my, I can see it. And I'm like, if Jake can stand next to Skylar's dad during an at bat, good or bad. And Skylar's dad lets it happen. Then I like Jake. Jake's my guy. Like he's, he's obviously been taken in by the family. And uh, so, you know, I've had Jake's Jake. We've, we've had, we've had dinner together and some other stuff. Like he's, he's, he's a really, he's a really good, uh, he's a gator. He's a good person. And uh, I think he really helps has helped Skyler, um, you know, be a, a, a little bit more um, not grounded. It's not the right word because she's not she's not somebody like that. But I think she's she he's given her a lot of balance. It's the first time I've ever think I've ever spoken about a, a, a boyfriend or a significant other on a podcast or on TV or anything. But I think he's been good for her because it gives her a little bit of separation from, you know, number 17 Skylar Wallace and not the kid.
Well, I was going to ask as well, and shout out Jake, congrats, Skylar. Sounds like you found a keeper. But as long as I've known Skylar, and I talked to her about this on the D1 Softball podcast last year, she is truly one of the most competitive people I have ever met. You just talked about that. If she's four for five, she will spend the next 24 hours thinking about that one. How important is it for her to be able to compartmentalize and to, like, you know, not let things weigh her down a little bit because she is so focused on the process and on uh, sometimes trying to right the wrongs of maybe mistakes that she's made. Now that's the, that's the part of her that's really matured. And you say the four for five in the old days, it could have been over five because she got out the first time and she has, and I think that's the, I think that's the biggest secret to success um, in a baseball or softball sport because you do have to compartmentalize. It's such a it's such a long period of time between successes and failures that you have to and and you play so many games you have to compartmentalize. You have to push it aside and you know you have to do that. And I think she's done a really good job of that. She's done a re- I mean she's done a fabulous job of of being. And I think that again it's it's that layer of trust. Like she has gotten to the point to where we can watch video. We can talk, she can perspective, we can balance, we can do stuff. Like she's just learned how to, you know, ask the right questions, push the right buttons, and then vice versa for me too. Same thing. Like again, I don't coach Sky, I don't coach her differently than I I coach her different, but I don't coach her different. Like, so let's say I've got a freshman, like, oh, I want you to coach me like Skylar Wallace. I will eventually. It just doesn't happen your first semester. You don't get coached like Skylar Wallace your freshman year, first semester. You will, because eventually you're going to build the same relationship. If you want to be great, you're going to do the same thing that Skylar does, and that is communicate your needs, communicate your frustrations, communicate what you like. Um, Go, yes, sir, when I challenge you and hold you accountable, not blame me for you having a bad day or whatever. Like That's the thing that, that young people have to understand, that I coach all my players differently but the same progression just takes it takes a relationship it takes communication to build those relationships and uh, but I coach Skyler no different than I coach Francesca no different than I coach Amanda Lorenz no different than I coach Sharla Eccles um, no different than I coach Stacy Nelson like we're all we coach them the, I coach them the same but they just don't see it that way sometimes because they're like wait I'm, I want to be like her well you, you you've got to earn that you can't just show up here and expect that it takes time you got to build that Gonna build that relationship. Yeah, you've got a couple years, but your time will come. Yes. I mean, shoot. <laughs> I mean, Skylar, I think I, I joke with Skylar Wallace the other day. I said, Man, how long have you been how long have you been coach? Are you getting your doctorate? What are you getting here? Like you've been coach <laughs> playing softball for so long. Um, yeah, but you know, again, that that helps her a lot too. She's very mature, but but nobody and nobody puts the amount of time in um the work to time. You know, there's more pieces to that. You know, obviously there's chemistry pieces and some other things she's got to do to be a great teammate. You know, and that those are things that we've really, that's the part that most people don't understand all the successes you see in the statistical categories. There's been a lot of hard work that's gone into that kid. And, um, and she's reciprocated. Like she's worked, it's been a two way street and I've been very proud of her um, to take, you know, take the praise and take some criticism at times. And she's done a really, really good job. And um, I, again, I, the proof's in the pudding. I'm mean, everything she's done. The graduate, I'm working on her master's degree. Um, you know, just the, the thing that she's been able to juggle. She's been really good at it. 
Well, and besides Skyler, you've got some other returners coming back. Kendra Falby, Reagan Walsh, Avery Gales, uh, other folks that you mentioned. You also brought in some big-time offensive transfers. Jocelyn Erickson from Oklahoma, whenever she got a chance with the Sooners, I felt like she was cashing in. Brooke Bernard was really hot down the stretch for Ole Miss last year. Corby Otis, phenomenal with Louisville last season. How do all of those pieces, plus the freshman that we'll talk about in just a second, how do all of those pieces mesh? Because as we've covered, this is going to be, in a lot of ways, a fairly new Florida Gator team this year. Every time we've we've got a transfer that's come in, um, especially on the the you know the 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 hitting side, and I think we've had we've had a very good track record of transfers. First one, my in my opinion, I, again, I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but Stephanie Toff was one of the best transfers we ever had, and she ended up being a great player and playing third base for us on two national championship teams. Uh, Kendall Lindemann, uh, Charlotte Eccles, uh, Pal Egan last year had a good year for us as a transfer. Uh, Jocelyn Erickson is as good of a player as I've ever had a chance to coach in my short time with her. She's good. She's really good. Um, you know, she's, uh, an elite hitter. Uh, her first base skills are elite, elite. Um, she's going to catch a lot for us as well. Um, but long story short, she's, she's really good. And I'm, 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 I, I, I joke, I wake up every day. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm glad she's a Gator. Cause she is, uh, she's brought some intensity to us. She's got to protect Skylar Wallace behind hit behind her. Um, uh, she's done some really good things. She's a good teammate. It's a good person. Uh, she cares, but she's intense too. She wants to be like, she wants to be good. Uh, she hits the ball hard. And um, I, I just, I'm, I'm super excited. Corby's the same. Like Corby's different. Corby wants to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. So there's um, that work ethic, that drive, the intelligence level, just the, you know, she's, she sometimes speaks in medical terms. I'm like, are you sure that's English? Like I've not heard that before. And, um, and so I, I'm a C plus student probably at best. Like, let's just, I'll be honest with you. Like I, I enjoyed baseball going to school was, was something that I, I did. Um, and I, I worked hard, but um, I tell her like, yes, we got to dumb this down a little bit, Corby. We just got to go hit. We can't try to, I don't need you to precisely open up, you know, the, the, the heart and, and go in there and surgically repair that thing. I need you to just get out there and hit the ball hard, you know? And so uh, she's been cool. She's, she's actually a really cool kid. Um, and, uh, her work ethic and her drive is, it matches Jocelyn and Skylar and Kendra and, um, you know, and Avery and Emily Wilkie. I mean, they've been working really hard at building, you know, the kind of the backbone of our team and being, um, kind to the young people and showing them the way and doing some things. And Katie Kissler had a really good fall for us too. Um, and then you go to Reagan and Reagan's just been kind of Reagan bad. I think she's bad fourth or fifth in this lineup, like every single day in two years. And, behind Charlotte most of the time she did a really good job of protecting her um and she's done a good job you know she's playing second base playing some first base last year she played second first and right field a little bit dh'd um and then we'll bring Bailey Goddard Bailey Goddard's our team captain so Bailey Goddard's and when I tell I talk to anybody in the SEC like Bailey Goddard who's Bailey Goddard like who's that she's been injured you know she's had some she's had some injury injury plague stuff but her teammates think so much about her She's the team captain. Like she would be the one if, 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 if the team wants to eat something, Skylar will ask me. If the team wants to wear something, Kendra will ask me. Um, but if the team wants to accomplish something, it's going to be Bailey. Like she's the one that's going to be like, 
the tough conversation or the honest conversation or the, Hey, don't do that here conversation. You know, she's the one that kind of holds us together a little bit. And we lost her last year after the fourth tournament, I think it was. And I mean, it was like, we almost, we almost lost a game. I think it was to UConn and UConn was good, but we just, the energy was gosh, tore ACL going to second base. And it was just, we were done. And uh, we were never really, I don't think we were ever really the same offensively, even though we had a good year. I mean, that kid was batting two and uh, we weren't the same. And then of course, you know, when you're the team captain, you also have to navigate all the freshmen. We, we've talked about Keegan Rothrock. She is one of seven, I believe, uh, by my count, seven freshmen on this squad, including a, a plethora of pitchers along with Keegan. How has that been uh, bringing those folks into the program and having them assimilate with all of these returners that you just mentioned? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I, I've done this enough to know that I'm not going to over um, estimate what a fall. Fall was against us. So we're playing against us. Now we went outside and played. I think we ended up getting four games in. Um, played, you know, good, decent, challenging schedule. So that was good. Um yeah, but at third base right now with, um, you know, with uh, it'll be probably a new player. Brooke Bernard, obviously, you mentioned her as a transfer from Ole Miss. She's done a really good job working hard. And then Alyssa Hovermill and Ariel Kowalowski, um, those are our probably our third base kids. Um, but I think that, you know, our old players have really done a good job of helping our young players. But our young players are actually um, – it's one of those things. Like the the backbone of this program has been – when players do things because they want to do things like working out extra, like going to hit at night, like working on off days, like organizing your own practice or bringing people over to your house and having a team dinner or going to a, you know, somewhere in town and, and, and making them a you know home cooked meal and providing, you know, resources to people that don't have resources. Now, our kids are all shopping for the friends of Jacqueline program right now, brain tumor survivoring kids that, you know, just need, just not, they don't need, but it's just nice to know they have support and have other people that care about them. And that's been the backbone. And our freshmen have been like, been working hard. And I think that that's the, they're all competitive and, you know, they have high expectations. Um, Alyssa Hovermills has been working hard, but long story short, I, I, I try to talk to all of them about, I don't really care how good or bad your fall was. Your spring can be completely different. And so we just need to make sure that we understand how to work and continue to work to get to that spring point to where you feel like you're putting forth your best effort and you can be confident and you can work hard and all that stuff. So um, we're a long ways away, but it was a good fall. We had a really good productive fall. Um, we got better. Um, the pitching is, 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 you know, again, as you mentioned before, that's, that's going to be our biggest question mark. And it was last year too. Um, I think trajectory wise, this, this staff here, has the trajectory to, to, to be better than what we've been. Um, but we're still a long ways away. I mean, you're, you know, you're still put our young kid in the roads house and in March um, on a Monday night, I don't know how they're going to respond. Um, you know, um, it's just going to be interesting. And I think that's why I said before about the only disappointing thing in recruiting was just not getting just that veteran pitcher to kind of help, mesh the young people but talented yes very talented athletic yes um tough i think we're pretty tough like if they've shown me they can be pretty tough competitive yes uh, work ethic um if i put work ethic on a 10 i thought in the last few years our work ethic as a whole uh extra like so unrequired things we were probably a six i think we're moving up to about an eight this is an 18 they've been working a lot more on their own i've got older players that are actually doing more than they've done in the past. And um, it, it's it's only because 
what you've been doing isn't good enough or not you're not meet you're not meeting your own expectations and the only way to do that is to either make some adjustments or put a little bit more time into it and i think that's the one thing i really liked about this fall is the relationships with the older players and their coach has been better um, by better i mean they're asking for more they're communicating better uh, I think every one of my older players, I think, sent me a message on Thanksgiving. Like, hey, happy Thanksgiving, coach. Not coach sending it to them, them sending it to me. And I was like, that's when you know, man, all right, you're making an impact. They're thinking about you when uh, they're not they're not cussing you for having them work out at six o'clock in the morning. They're actually like, hey, coach, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving with your family. Enjoy your time off. Like, that's the coolest text you can ever get as a coach when your players are like thinking about you in, in, in a good way. And, I, and they all did. And I, I was something I was really, it's, you know what I mean? Like you just, when you get to this age, it's like, what are the little things that can kind of make you happy? And that, that makes me happy when you've got older players that are kind of coming out of their shell and, and growing up a little bit and learning that I'm actually on their team and on their side. I'm not here to, I, I'm not, I don't get I don't get excited when they strike out. I, I'm like, come on, I want you to do better because I'm invested in you. And now that I've invested them off the field more, I think they've all appreciated that a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. Tim Walton joining us for softball media days. Coach, I love that. That was, that's a great message. And I think you're exactly right. You know, you, you, you don't want the players to look at you as, as big, bad Tim Walton as the big, bad villain. No, you're, you're trying to help them. All coaches, everyone out there are trying to help the players. It's not, it's not some circle of negativity. Everybody's just trying to, to push each other up. But, and again, it just, it's important to make sure when you, when you choose a school, you choose the school, let's choose the right school. Like choose a school that like, I'm going to hold you accountable. Like, I don't care if you're first team all American or you're, you're, you only get one at bat. I'm going to hold you. I, I told, I told, I told players all the time, I'm not going to give you an at bat just because you're on the team. you got to earn it. Like you got to earn it. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to not hold you accountable. I'm holding you accountable to your goals. I'm not holding you accountable to my goals. Do you want to be good? Okay. Well then every once in a while I'll get mad at you. You want to be great? Well then I'm going to get mad at you a lot because there's going to be a lot of things that you need to do to get better at. And, um, and I, again, in most cases, most, not most, but a lot of my better players have had the best relationship with me because I hold them accountable more. I, I mean, the, the amount of time that one spends with their great players on, Hey, do this better. Hey, do that. But everybody thinks, Oh, you, you're, you're playing favorite. No, no, no. This isn't about favorites. This is about holding someone accountable. And you know, the message is, Hey, great job today, but or hey, really good job today. Even though you went over three, the fact that you went out there and you you know you you high fived your second baseman on a great play, or you 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 had your pitchers back, you communicated really well. That was that was awesome. Like there's so many. It doesn't always have to be negative, um, holding you accountable. It's sometimes it's it's cap catching a really cool moment that maybe some people wouldn't catch. And um, yeah, I think that's the that's the lifeline of a coach is just trying to continue to keep the standard alive. Um, but you can't do it the same every single year, every single day, every single player. Everybody's different. And you're just trying to figure out a way to motivate and inspire everybody uh, consistently. But yet they're all different. So you're just trying to figure out how to how to get through to everybody. All right. I want to get to some big picture things before we let you go. And this has been a, a phenomenal conversation. But but sports are changing. Softball is changing. And we saw a big rules change year, like lots of things, pitching rules, obstruction, replay things added. A lot of coaches have talked about the visible pitching clock that will really hopefully help speed up the game. Generally speaking, was there anything that you were excited to see that you thought, Oh, finally. 
Uh, well, the fourth coach is the final. Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a finally one. Um, you know, I, I no, I, I think from the rules perspective, I think the 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 pitching part is good. Um, I, I'm honest when you when you look at a pitcher, the amount of times that a pitcher will come off the ground that much versus that much. I mean, this much and this much, they're the same. Like either both of them are off the ground. I mean, I would say that probably 80 to 90 percent of all pitchers are off the ground at some point in time through their pitching delivery. Um, so I think that was a a, a huge uh, positive for our game. Just take that, take that portion. Like nobody, I don't care what team, nobody wants to hear illegal pitch um, in a bases loaded. To, I mean, come on, we don't want to see it. So I think that was a, a really cool, uh, a really cool way to say you don't have to be perfect. Like if you can stay on the ground, you're going to throw harder and you're going to be more consistent. So try to stay on the ground. But if you're off the ground, it is what it, I actually think that when you're off the ground, it's actually you're, you're actually not as good. When Elizabeth Hightower was on the ground, she was an All-American. When she was off the ground, she wasn't. So it's one of those things that I, I think that she threw harder and more consistent. So um, I would, we we try our, we're not trying to teach illegal legal pitches. We're trying to teach, you know, getting our pitchers on the ground. So I, I think that's a good one. The double base opportunity, we're going to do it in the SEC. I think it's good because, again, it's um, not just the safety portion of it, but just the, I mean, how do you stay on the foul side of the line, but touch the fair side of the bat. Like it's just an impossible, um, uh, the, just the, the, the shape of the field is, itself is just, it's hard. So I think that's good. Um, we need more scholarships. So I don't, that has nothing to do with playing rules, but we need more scholarships. Um, you know, everybody always wants to talk about the name image and likeness piece and, oh my gosh, it's great. It is great. There's a lot of things to it. That's great. But the, the softball, name, image, and likeness, and a football name, image, and likeness, or forget football, volleyball. Well, volleyball is a full headcount sport. They got full scholarships. We got the same amount of scholarships, but we play way more players, and uh, we need more scholarships. I mean, that, it's, it's, to me, I think that's – and I, I, I'm, a, I'm always – I'm a very – I think sometimes salaries can get crazy and doesn't make for a sustainable uh, at, you know, athletic department and all the other stuff. So I don't want to do anything that's going to cost somebody else their program or their job or anything like that, but – you know, for me, I, I just wish we had all full scholarships. I don't know what that number is, but I hate percentage sports. I hate it. Um, I don't think that a kid should work just as hard for books as somebody who gets, you know, books plus, you know, $25,000 above. Boy, yeah, it just, it's just crazy to me. But we need more. We need more scholarships. That'd be my, um, as I sail off into the sunset uh, moment, uh, I think that all the people, all the young women that play softball should have the same exact scholarship across the board. That'd be perfect. Um, that's what I want. Well, and coach, as you, as you talk about that and what you want in the sport, I, I hearken back to your comments earlier about, you know, being out on the West coast, growing up there. And, uh, that makes me think of how sports are changing, how college sports is shifting. And, you know, we've talked on this podcast about Texas and OU coming to the sec. That's great. That's in the footprint this year. We've seen just absolute chaos to the point where the Pac-12 is basically done, which which is a, a sad prospect, especially for the sport of softball. But as you look around the country, you see all these moves being made with football in mind and men's basketball in mind and not necessarily sports like softball and volleyball and tennis and golf and all of those kinds of things. Does that give you concern about the college sports landscape and what what that could mean for a sport like softball? Well, so you said, I think that the the ever-changing movements of football has everything to do with softball. 
if we're not sustainable without successful, you know, athletic departments, not just football, but the total athletic department, you know, because just because I have a good football program doesn't necessarily mean I'm selling a bunch of t-shirts. Doesn't mean I have a great TV rights program. Doesn't mean I'm not spending more money than I'm making. So it's, it's a total athletic department. The athletic department has a business model in mind, has a good football model in mind, has a good marketing model in mind, has a good name, image, and likeness model in mind, because if you don't stay in front of that, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's what is best for all, not just best for some. Um, you know, what's best for all, all your women, all your men, um, all your boosters, all your fans, um, you know, all your, your employees, what's best for all. Because, you know, at the end of the day, running a program like Florida, you've got healthcare, <laughs> you've got fields, you've got television, you've got accessibility, you've got fans, you've got so much stuff to think about when it talks about this. So to me, I think that the movements for those programs, even though it doesn't seem fair to a softball team to have to fly across the country to do X, Y, and Z, they felt like that was the best model for their programs to have a total entire athletic department be sustainable and, and make, make mm -hmm. probably generate revenue and do all the things. So, you know, I, I'm not faulting anybody for what they're doing. Um, it is changing, it's shifting, but I think what we do in football and the athletic department impacts me and our, our softball programs greatly. And um, I shoot, I'm, I, I'm watching football every day. I'm like, come on, football, let's go, let's win. I'm rooting for our guys. I'm rooting for, I want to win every game possible so we can sell more t-shirts, so we can get more fans, get more people into the stands and generate more revenue for the entire athletic department um, because it's getting so dang expensive. And um, that's why I want more, I just want, I, I'm a, I've always been about the even playing field. Like, listen, even playing field, you know, what you want and experience, get a great education, you um, know, you know, have a great college experience, get a chance to go to the College World Series. Um, that's the only part I don't like about where college athletics is right now. It's not an even playing field. It's not even. It's whoever has more money and whoever willing to spend more money to buy players to be really good. That's where we're at. And uh, that's called professional. It's not called college. And, um, and even in professional, they have a thing called a salary cap. And, um, you know, and so... At the end of the day, I just want it to be an even playing field to give everybody an equal opportunity to have a great experience, uh, win, lose, or draw. And I think that's that's what I strive for. Um, I'm not going to win every game. Um, uh, I can tell you every loss I have, I can, I can think about them all right now. Um, but I, I just want it to be about um, providing a great experience with great resources um, and not have to look across the street to wonder what they're doing versus what we're doing. I just want to do it. I just want to do it right. But we have no rules. We have no government. We have no boundaries. Like there's no boundaries. So maybe she's worth that. But your salary cap is this. You saw you can you can't you can't have too many of those players because it doesn't work within your number. It's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable model. And at the end of the day, if it requires me to have so much NIL money that we have to drop one of our sports, well, I'd rather just be an average softball team to keep our sports to keep our kids having the same experiences because we're getting too greedy that we think we need more so other people can have less. It just doesn't make sense. All right, coach, two more things before I let you go. First, I, I have to ask about another conversation that we've had with all the coaches, and that's about the potential of a neutral site SEC softball tournament. Is that something that you have considered? Are you in favor of it? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's awesome. You know, I think it's uh, so 
my experience is different than, you know, than some is that I've done this internationally now and I've done this on a different uh, professional scale. So I've seen venues um, coaching the Orlando U-Triple-S-A Pride in uh, Sulphur, Louisiana, just outside of Lake Charles. And there were thousands of people there to watch the Chicago Bandits and the, and the Pride play for an MPF championship. And I've been in Birmingham and Hoover watching Team USA um, play Japan um, for what turned out to be the World Games, but the World Championships. And there was over 8,000 people in that venue. And Hooper did it the best because they're the first place I've ever seen move home plate. They took home plate and they moved it back to the backstop. So it made it, even though it was a baseball stadium, it made it feel like a softball stadium. They skinned the infield and it was a huge softball stadium at that. But the dugouts were right by the batter's box. Like it was a cool venue. And so I'm in favor of a, a neutral site. Um, and the reason I'm in favor of it is because I think you can really create your own. I mean, originally the SEC is the first um, team to create a conference tournament, the first ever football game and, you know, the, the big championship experience. And now look what that's created. Um, I think this is an opportunity to, to create a one-off, uh, an opportunity to create an experience where kids are getting for their birthday or they're getting for Christmas an opportunity to go to x to watch the sec softball tournament i'm going to be there for a week and i'm going to watch the best softball in the entire country um and i think it could be an unbelievable experience um and i don't think we're going to do it in the sec wrong we're going to do it right and um i think that's the cool thing is if if there's an opportunity to do something better the sec is going to find a way to do it better and um i'm, I'm all in favor of a, of a neutral site because i think it could it could really change uh, a quote unquote experience for the athletes and, and the fans. Yeah. And to your point about Hoover for the world games, I mean, uh, two points, one people showed up for the bronze medal game too, which was really incredible. And two, there were storms. There was weather before that gold medal match against Japan and the people stayed. And, and I think that that is such a good reflection of that crowd and of the hunger that people have for softball. If it's good softball, people will come and watch it. Yeah, I agree. And again, this has nothing to do with Oklahoma City or Oklahoma like at all. Like, I think, again, nobody wanted the College World Series and Oklahoma City stepped up and really committed to that. And then, hey, at the end of the day now, you know, Oklahoma's softball program since 2000 has been totally different, not because of the, the venue, but because they've got, you know, they've, they've elevated the program. But if you find this spot in a in a neutral spot in the in the heart of of of, of the South, you're going to have people coming to these games that have never had an opportunity to see some of these teams play in in, in that type of a, a championship. And I think that's the coolest part. I don't no offense. I don't want I don't want to take the College World. I don't want to take anything away from the College World Series. We don't want. We're not trying to replace the College World Series. We're trying to. We already have a tournament. So let's take our tournament and raise the level up by putting it in a spot where we can, maybe we can, hey, maybe we can generate a little bit of money one time, you know, and do that for our sport. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe we can get some corporate sponsorship and increase the market value of our players that enter the transfer portal and do some cool things. Because at the end of the day, we 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 draw viewers, we just don't draw revenue. You know, we outdraw the College World Series probably. Last year was probably one of the best college world series i think i've ever seen um all of the games throughout the entire tournament for baseball 
Um, but they're, they're, they just have corporate sponsorship. They got big time sponsors and we need big time sponsors. That'd be legit to have our own like sponsored tournament where, you know, we're making some money and doing some cool things and maybe we can get just more than a t-shirt. Maybe we can get a t-shirt and a hat. I mean, that'd be a cool, <laughs> uh, a cool, cool gift. <laughs> Two water bottles. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tim Walton. Joining for softball media days. Okay, coach, this is the last thing I promise. Uh, Tom and I are going to be doing on this podcast in a few weeks, maybe a few months, who's to say, the all-time SEC pitcher draft. So it'll be Tom, myself, and a couple guests. And we're going to build a staff of five or six. Rules uh, haven't quite been set yet. From 1997 to the present day. And so I've been asking coaches to think outside of their programs which opposing pitchers that you've seen and you've seen plenty of them while with Florida, would you put high on the draft board? Well, I, I won't be able to name them all. Like I can't remember all the names, um, but the, I'll definitely go to Brittany Sneed. Is that, am I right there? Brittany. Oh Sneed? yeah. Brittany. She was at, is that LSU? LSU. She has I, been a popular answer. Oh my gosh. I'm, I can tell you just nasty. Um, oh, I can't think of, I can't think of, I mean, Alabama's had obviously several, um, but pre, prior to my arrival in the SEC, Alabama's, was it Laird maybe? Uh, uh, yeah. Shelly Laird. He was good. Yeah. Um, and then Alabama's, like I said, has had, had plenty. Kelsey Dunn, obviously she probably threw more pitches and had more wins than most of them. I mean, like, like she was amazing. The number of wins she had Auburn had one of the best hitter pitcher uh, pitchers that I can remember. Um, I can't, I can't think of her name. It was, it was a, maybe my first year here, uh, South Carolina in the early in the two thousands, obviously had a, a, a really good one. Um, what's uh, Kristen uh, Schmidt from LSU. She mm. transferred from Notre Dame. She was, she was pretty, pretty wicked. Monica Abbott, obviously um, she's, she was okay. Um, I think she had, I think she had more wins in one of her seasons than like a hundred division one teams just by herself. I mean, she had like 60 some wins. Um, she was, she was really good. I know I'm not doing uh, our game justice by remembering more than that, but there's been, gosh, there's been some good ones. Um Texas and I mean, obviously, I, Texas Sam's hard because they haven't been in the league as long. Because um, I my my brain goes Big Twelve and SEC, so I go back to a couple of the player pitchers they had before that. But um, that would be my my not obviously be Monica Abbott first. Brittany Sneed is, I mean, she was just as good as anybody that I've ever seen in this game. She was she was she was amazing. Well, and you'll appreciate, I think. The most mentioned Gator has been Stacy Nelson. A lot of people have shouted out Stacy Nelson. She just, gosh, she just, it was like her, she threw a big box of bricks at you. Like it was hard <laughs> to leverage. She was, she was, I mean, she was obviously the, she's my favorite. I think she's, <laughs> she's the, she's the reason why somebody actually said I went from a good coach to being a better than good coach because I had a, a really good pitcher. She was, it was a really easy thing to do. Lineup card, oh, Stacy Nelson. That was good. <laughs> Who's pitching? Stacy Nelson. <laughs> 
Oh, Tim Walton joining us for Softball Media Days. Coach, this has been a blast. It's always good to see you. I know that this year is going to be a ton of fun in the SEC, and we look forward to that opening conference weekend. You mentioned it, Florida at Alabama. Uh, that Saturday, Sunday, Monday, as you and Coach Murphy have mentioned, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah, yeah, so much fun. I, I I enjoy them every single time. Like it's it's the cra- it's the craziest thing when you talk about this. I mean, my life revolves around winning a game, um, and 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 the star of that. I mean, that's it, the the fans are amazing. The the competition's amazing. Uh, the venue's amazing. I mean, I think that's what that's one of those things that I can think about. Like listening to Amanda Lorenz talk about. Oh my gosh, I have never been more nervous in my life than opening weekend in SEC play my freshman year. And she was at Auburn that year, but it was still a, it's, it's one of those things that these are the things that these kids have grown up waiting to do is play SEC softball on national television. And, you know, no better way to to start for, for us. We got a young team and super athletic. And if, if we pitch, we're going to be really, really good. But um, you know, again, at Ralph Weekly, a, a hall of fame, SEC softball coach, he says it the best. It's called fast pitch for a reason, and you better be good at it because uh, if you're not, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a long season or a short season. I don't know which way you describe it, but it's going to probably be both. <laughs> All the emotions in this. Yeah, event. it coach, is. Sure, thank you so well, much for hopping on with us. I appreciate you. Go Gators. Yes, sir. So there we go. Tim Walton, Florida head coach, joining us for day three of softball media days. Obviously. Skylar Wallace is going to be the offensive focal point, but entering her 10th year of eligibility. I mean, got to be 30 years old at this point. (laughs) Shout out to you, Skylar. Yes. Pitching staff, like I said to him, you know, I've been doing this packet for five years and I have never had 0% returning innings pitched. So like Coach Walton talked about with new pitching coach Chelsea Dobbins, they're going to have to figure it out. Total total reset, going to have to head to the pitching lab and, and do several experiments to see what they can get done. And, uh, you know, sometimes a total reset, maybe not the worst thing in the world. There were some good pitchers on that team last year, but maybe just total rebuild from scratch might be the best thing. The SEC schedule for the Florida Gators at Alabama Mm-hmm. Interesting way to start. Yeah, Kentucky at Mississippi State, LSU at Missouri, South Carolina at Georgia, and Texas A and M. Not the easiest, not the hardest. I feel like for where Florida is, though, I, I really like the home series that they've got there. Kentucky, South Carolina, A and M, LSU. Those all seem like they could be winnable, and I would like their odds. I think against Kentucky and A and M for sure. That. In you know two of the last three being home to South Carolina and at Georgia, if Florida is able to put themselves in a position with the series before that to where those those two series are going to be major deciders on who wins the league or who you know gets a bye that type of thing, then I think you're in pretty good shape if you're Florida. Yeah, but those are very difficult series if you haven't taken care of your business before then. It could get very rough. Yeah, and it, specifically, I think in that four-weekend stretch, Kentucky, Mississippi State, LSU, and Missouri, if Florida is a threat to win the SEC, that 12-game stretch probably needs to be 10-2 and two at worst. Yeah. Maybe 9-3. and three. Yeah, exactly. You need to win. If you win all four of those series, you put yourself in a good spot. Yeah. So the Florida Gators, what are they going to be? I don't know. 
I have no idea if they'll show up in our way too early top fives and we do that for day four. You know who I think might show up? The Georgia Bulldogs. Just a guess. Yeah, they're uh that they bring back so much from a team that had such a great year last year. Uh, they are very, very scary. And when we come back, we'll dive into the fear. What makes Georgia so scary? What's Tony Baldwin saying about it all? And we'll find out on the other side. All right, let's go on to Athens. I wish we were doing that right now. Day three of softball media days. We're about to talk to Tony Baldwin, the head coach of Georgia Bulldogs. Gray and Tom are here. And Tom, soon we will be in Athens, Georgia. Making the reservation for the last resort as we speak. Literally already have the hotel booked. Like that was the first thing we did in October. Someone call the Uber. Yeah. Well, yes. (laughs) Calzones. Calzones for everyone. Just what time in the morning will Mm. that be? They're only good after two. That's true. Two calzones or 2 a.m.? Yes, <laughs> correct. This is a Georgia team that's going to be really good. And Tony Baldwin is going to say some things in this interview that really struck me. And I'm excited for everybody to hear it because I, I think that this is a squad that can for sure win the conference. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have – we were talking about it last year. They definitely had the offense. Will they have the pitching to be able to do it? Uh, I think they kind of showed they did have the pitching and they still have that offense. Yeah. So it's uh, they have set themselves up, set themselves up to be a top contender, not only in the conference, but a national one as well. And let's hear what Tony Baldwin has to say. Why not? Here he is, the head coach of Georgia Bulldogs, joining us on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. And Tom, where is our favorite place to visit in the SEC? Oh, it's got to be Athens. Athens, of course, because, I mean, it's a home run every time. Oreo cheesecake is oh. all, all you have to say. So excited to go to the last resort this yes. year. And we will be going there because Alabama will face the Georgia Bulldogs this season. And, of course, the Georgia Bulldogs are coached by Tony Baldwin joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, we can't wait to see you this year. Just getting that out of the way. How are you? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. And as always, appreciate all you do for uh, for college softball. And I can't disagree with you on Athens being the place to be. And, you know, you can never go wrong with the last resort. That's for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're, we're going to we're going to get in line now. <laughs> go for the dinner. Stay for the cheesecake. That's really what it's all about. I was glad we got the uh, the heads up to order the cheesecake when you sit down. Uh, so they didn't run out. So we, that's we, correct. We, we'll remember to do fast. that. Got to do it. Yeah, we'll we'll put that on a pillow. By the way, I like <laughs> stay for the cheesecake, Coach. It's good to see you. you. Had a busy summer with Team USA. Tell us about your travels all around the world and what that was like. Sure. You know, I mean, there's just a a, a level of pride that you get from being around the world and getting to put USA on your you know your chest and represent uh, our country and all the softball players out there and. Uh, you know, the team was great. We play the, the weather was not, uh, team, uh, Ireland and, and their people did an unbelievable job of trying to create an event. You know, there is not a a softball field in the country of Ireland. So, um, the first couple days of practice games, we played on a soccer pitch with, uh, literally cones set up as the outfield fence. There was no, no fence. 
And uh, we were like in a neighborhood, like foul balls were literally going into people's backyards. Uh, It's quite a sight to see, you know, Montana Fouts and uh, Ali Carta and some of the best players in the world uh, out there basically doing makeup softball, you know, side yard softball. Um, But then they actually put together a really cool little uh, stadium, if you will, uh, for the for the main event. And, uh, you know, it was it was pretty cool. And uh, they did a great job of hosting the event that was well run, um, you know, and it went as well as it possibly could. And uh, certainly, you know, we played well, you know, the the backstory on the, the, you know, just the funny parts of these kinds of things is we really anticipated that we were going to get Georgina Corrick, uh, you know, for the gold medal game. And so we prepared most of the week, uh, our lineup with the idea that we were going to have to beat her in the most important game. And, and so we did the whole week and we get there and then we never did face her. Uh, and, uh, and so sometimes the best laid plans, right. They just go to waste. But, uh, <laughs> um, but the, the gals played well, you know, I've been coaching long enough to know that if you don't give up any runs, it's tough to lose. And and uh, we played six games and gave up no runs. And that makes the hitting coach job pretty easy. All these stories, I think, will go in well with the uh, with the Tim Walton and Tony Baldwin uh, buddy cop movie that we're that we're going to put together. Yeah. So is there at what point do we just put you two in an apartment and send in a film crew? Was there any rooming situation at all this summer? No. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, I will tell you that, you know, going, getting started with Team USA back in 2019 with Tim uh, as, as an, a coach, assistant coach as well, um, of all of the blessings, my relationship with Tim is probably one of the ones I'm, I'm most thankful for. Uh, like, we just have a lot of fun together and, uh, you know, lots of laughs and stories and, um, yeah, I'm just very thankful for our relationship and friendship and, uh, yeah, Ireland was fun. He was the driver, which was ad- adventure, uh, you know, driving on the wrong side of the road in a car that was like a matchbox. Uh, he pulled off. You'll have to ask him about it because I still call him Houdini. I, I have no idea how he pulled off not hitting the mirror on this bus like Cindy and I closed our eyes. We were convinced we were blowing up the mirror on this bus and just, he just did one of those things and we missed it. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but um, he was a great uh, driver and uh, we, we survived the week, but great times, (laughs) great fun, you know, just uh, it doesn't get any better. And then, uh, you know, then we just finished up Chile for two weeks as well. Uh, and, uh, I can tell you that downtown Santiago, Chile is, uh, a really nice place. It's clean and it's a good place to visit with, uh, lots of good food and allegedly, uh, there may or may not, I'm not going to be able to verify there. I've heard that there's pretty good beer down there as well. We will take note and do our own research. And what I can tell you is Tim and I both were convinced that when we signed up for the trip to Chile, that we were going to lose weight. And that, in fact, did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's you know, I feel like that's how it works. though. like every year, you know, the season ends. I'm like, my gosh, what happened? You know, (laughs) 
Oh, man. Well, that sounds like an incredible summer. And it's really amazing. I mean, you hit the ground running pretty much as soon as last season ended. And as we kind of pivot towards your team and the Georgia program, when you know you didn't really have a ton of time to to look back and and think back deeply on the 2023 campaign but but now that you've had a few months since the end of the year what were your main takeaways with georgia well i really liked our team i you know i thought we played some really good softball for an extended period of time um we didn't get off to a a, a great start you know, well, I, I don't know that it, that's maybe even fair to say. We played some really good competition and uh, came up on the wrong side of some outcomes. And then uh, it took us a little while to kind of get our mojo back. Uh, but, you know, at the end of it all, I, I thought we played pretty good softball. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just got a tough matchup in the Super Regional against a really good Florida State team. You know, I, you can't hang your head getting beat by, you know, that group and, and, uh, you know, cat through outstanding and their team made some plays and, and got some big hits and, you know, that's how it is. I, you know, I, I felt like we were a college world series caliber team. Um, you know, I, my personal opinion is I felt like we were a better team than a 14 seed. Uh, but at the end of the day, we were what the NCA seeded us and, uh, you know, we, we just didn't play well enough in, in Tallahassee to get past those guys. But as it turned out, you know, they got hot at the right time and, and parlayed that into playing for the national championship. So, you know, they're a great team, a great program, tons of respect for them. And we knew it was going to be a, a challenge and uh, we just weren't quite able to get over the top of it. But overall, proud of our team. I thought we took a step forward in a lot of areas. I thought the addition of Shelby Walters made a huge difference. You know, we cut our ERA in about half. Uh, and, uh, and we played, we played pretty good softball. So, you know, we'll just look to take another step forward with, with our group. And we've got a killer schedule early uh, that hopefully we can take care of and, and then uh, manage the rest of the schedule uh, and put ourselves in a position where potentially we could, you know, not only, host regionals, but potentially host a, a super regional. I believe we have that kind of a team. Um, but as I've told a lot of people, I really like our team, but I don't know what that means. Cause at the end of the day, you got to play well at the right time in the right games for it to mean anything. You can have a great team just like Florida state a couple years ago, had an unbelievable team and got knocked off and, and regionals and nobody remembers how good of their, their season was, but you know, you got to play well at the right time, and and uh, we're trying to prepare ourselves to do that. Got you. Looking to 2024, you return 98% of your hits and 90% of your innings pitched, which is unbelievable numbers, especially considering where college athletics and college softball is right now with the portal and, and everything else that happens. Um, how much has that continuity uh, really helped your your squad going from one year to the next? Sure. Yeah, you know, um, we've said it before, and I and I said it heading into last season with our team that experience and age matters in the SEC. You know, you've got to have some, uh, you got to go through it a little bit to to really understand how to manage it. And um, this year, what I've seen from our group is just a level of maturity that they, you know, they don't get too up and down. They show up, they, you know, stack 
good days, good days, good days. The consistency of stacking the days is really what makes a team great. Uh, last year, you know, I thought that while we had a lot of experience, um, we had uh, uh, too many players that were applying a lot of pressure on themselves to repeat or do something again. And I think they learned some lessons and, and once we got over that hurdle, uh, we played pretty good softball. And and uh, this year, I've just seen a much more mature approach, if if that is a possible. I mean, uh, like I said, we've just been really consistent with how we went about things this fall. And uh, we'll have to have that continue in the spring for us to be successful. How much do you think that maturity is going to help, considering you're probably going to have the highest expectations uh, from at the outside and everybody else uh, coming into the season that you've had in your tenure there? You know, you go back to 2009, 2010, 2011, that was a pretty good group of uh, women that uh, George put out on the field. I was only a part of the 2011 season. Um, but I think this is our best roster that we've ever had at Georgia. From 1 through 21, we're – we have some pretty good softball players. Whether any of them are as high end as Taylor Slopey or Alyssa Goler or Kristen Sandberg, Megan Wiggins, that's for you guys to decide. But I'm just saying from a depth of talent, uh, we have some backups that are really good players. Some people that'll be role players this year that'll end up being people that down the road, you know, they'll become the, the stars of our team. So from that standpoint, we have a lot of competition. And I think that competition has been able to help keep people present that uh, they've got to be there and they got to play today because if they don't, there's somebody that'll gladly take their spot. And um, I think that's been a good thing, not only the experience of knowing what to expect, but then the competition of having to go compete every day has been a good thing for our team. Coach, I'll leave this one a little bit more open-ended because there are so many returners on the offensive side, especially that you can talk about. I want to specifically mention Jada Kearney because watching her grow these last three years has been really impressive, and she's been so outstanding certainly the last two years. I, I think last year is probably one of the more feared bats in the SEC. What has she done to get better in this offseason ahead of this year? And feel free to mention anybody else because, as I said, there are multitudes of returners that you can talk about. Well, you know, I think the 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 challenge with players like her and Sarah Mosley and Sydney Kuma and just people that have been pretty consistent isn't to do more. It's just to do it again, you know. And so the challenge becomes to get yourself in the right place where you tune out the noise and the extra stuff and the trying and the, you know, the uh, it's going to be hard enough just to be a really good player, right? Because everybody knows about her. They're going to put a star next to her name in the lineup and they're going to make sure that they pitch her, you know, tough. And, and so really what she's grown is her ability to just deal with that and take the walk when they give it to her and let trust her teammates around her. And then it's incumbent on, on us as a coaching staff and as a team to protect each other. Right. And, and uh, we've talked about that, like, uh, you know, for Jada to have a great season, she needs the person in front of her and the person behind her to have a season that protects her. Um, and so it's all dependent on all of us. And I think they uh, understand that. 
Um, she came back in great shape physically. She's in a great place mentally. Um, I think she uh, had a good experience with Team USA and and uh, she's just somebody that really likes softball. She likes coming to practice. She enjoys being around her teammates. That's really the name of the game is just to keep making it fun to come to the ballpark every day. If if she keeps doing that, the results will take care of themselves. Let's take a look at what you have coming back in the circle. You have a great one-two punch, Madison Kerpix and Shelby Walters uh, coming back. They, they kind of really uh, emerged last year as one of the best duos in the conference, if not the country. Uh, what did they do last? What did you see from them as a partnership last year? And how has that continued moving forward into this year? Well, I think they both helped each other tremendously, right? They're they're different. So that becomes a little bit of a preparation challenge for the other team because you gotta you gotta spend some time preparing for upspin and downspin and hard and soft and and all of those kinds of things. So, you know, the more people they have to prepare for, the less they're prepared for anyone, right? And so that's a that worked for our favor. You know, I think they were both able to be healthy, both mentally and physically uh, throughout the season. So that, you know, allows them to perform better. Um, you know, I think Maddie uh, is fully healthy. Last year, we went through some health things, not not anything that had to do with her arm or pitching or anything like that, but it just, she didn't get a great fall of workouts. And so it took her a little bit um, to really get going and get hot, so to speak, uh, last spring where she's had a tremendous fall. She's throwing the ball really well. Um, Shelby is doing great. I mean, her, we, we basically rested her this fall. She's such a worker. She felt so good after last season that when we told her to take the summer off, she didn't really listen and she <laughs> went and pitched on her own all summer. And then, uh, uh, so we uh, helped her out take some time off this fall, but her bullpens have been lights out. She's highly motivated. You know, we aren't a team that goes around and pounds on her chest about look at us or we deserve this or, you know, we don't ask for people's attention. But I can tell you that we felt like she had an All-American season last year. Statistically, she outperformed some of the people that were named All-American. She did it against the best competition in the country. Um, and so, you know, we were a little disappointed that she didn't get a little more recognition on that part. And, and, uh, uh, so I, I think she'll be motivated, uh, to go out and, and get after it, uh, again, this spring. Then you throw in the addition of Lily Backus, who is yet another variable, right? She's lefty. She's great change up. She's lefty spin. Um, she's a little bulldog competitor, um, so now you've got Shelby and what she brings to the table, Maddie and what she brings to the table, and Lily in there. And uh, that's a tough prep for teams. So we're really thankful and excited about her. And then we've had some other people really come along this fall, but I, I don't think it's any secret that those three will be our our uh, our big three, you know, as we get things going. Could it be a situation where it's a, a different starter every weekend in a series, for example, and you could even change the order up? Is that how comfortable you feel with all three of them? I do. Yeah, I, I think there's that. That's a possibility. You know, I don't think it'll be out of the ordinary to see all three of them in the same game. Um, but, you know, I think 
as long as I've been doing this, I've learned that there is no crystal ball. And, uh, you know, you can map that out all you want, but it'll sort of answer itself as the season comes along. Um, you know, I don't, I'm Shelby is our ace right now. Um, and, uh, but we have three that we feel really confident that can go out there and, and throw against anybody. Um, and, uh, you know, Maddie has certainly earned her stripes by pitching well against good teams. And, and Lily has been, uh, super competitive for UNC, uh, the last couple of years. I mean, she ended up being an all conference pitcher in the, in the ACC. And, uh, we're really thankful to have her as well. Well, you also brought in casually the ACC freshman of the year, Sarah Gordon, who we have not mentioned yet. And what's fascinating about this is you bring in somebody so talented to a to an offensive roster that brings back everybody. Right. You, you talked about how you've got some backups who who could be starting at a lot of places around the country. But how do you balance a lineup that has so many potential pieces with the addition of Gordon in the in the mix as well? Well, we talk a lot about roles um, and values, right? Like what your value is, and and a lot of young players attach their value to their role. And the truth of the matter is the role changes regularly, but your value as a person doesn't. Um, and so that's, I think, the piece that young people are still trying to learn. They're so used to their value being their outcome, their value being where they bat in the lineup. And, and you know, what we've talked about is ultimately your role is that whatever helps us win the game that day. And so we have some people that hit down pitching well, and we have some people that hit up pitching well. And so that roster very well could change. Um, we'll use, you know, multiple people throughout a game based off of defensive situations and offensive situations. But, but ultimately, you know, they're all here to help Georgia be successful. And if they do a good job in that, then individually they will achieve their own success as well. Um, as far as Sarah goes, you know, she's been outstanding. She's as advertised as an offensive player, but she's a better defensive player than I probably gave her credit for. And that has really, you know, been exciting for us as we continue on this journey to uh, grow. You know, we've been known offensively for a long time and th that's all well and good, but to win at the level that we would like to win that uh, to, to win the whole thing. One of these days, you got to be good on all the areas, right? You got to be good on the pitching and defense side has to work together to, to win a two to one ball game. Uh, you know, you look at Oklahoma, you know, they win the national championship because they win a couple low scoring games against Stanford. Right. And then they get into the national championship and they win, and then finally, you know, their offense breaks out and they they put some runs on the board. But you've got to be able to win those games uh, where good pitching is going to just be better than your hitters. And uh, we're we're on a journey to get to that place. And, and uh, being good defensively at all nine positions is really what we're striving to be. And, and Sarah really has upped our game behind the plate. And Lindy Ray is, is a very good catcher she receives the ball well and she's got a big arm but sarah's got another level of mobility that helps against the the small ball game and and she also uh throws really well and um so yeah we're excited about her being part of our group and not surprisingly with so many uh returners uh smaller true freshman class 
uh, three true freshmen on your roster. Uh, where do they fit in? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Emily Digby is probably the one most prepared to play. And uh, she's a high school shortstop by trade, but we've used her at, at first base mostly this fall. And, uh, you know, again, there's a recipe for success out there defensively is that if you got eight shortstops in your lineup, then you usually can defend pretty good. They're, you know, they play shortstop growing up because they're usually one of the smartest players, most athletic players, ones that you can count on the most. And so she has done an outstanding job acclimating to first base. Um, uh, Jaden Fields is still, you know, the starter there, but uh, we anticipate using Emily as a defensive player there uh, at that position. Um, and her offense is good enough that, you know, she's going to find her way into the lineup. So she's the one most prepared to play here in the early going. Hannah Davila is a freshman that, uh, you know, I'm super excited about. I, I think she's got a chance to be really special uh, at third base. She can defend as well as anybody we've had in a long time. Uh, and offensively, she made some really good strides this fall. So she's going to get opportunities sporadically. Uh, but I think in the years to come, you know, right now, she has a pretty good player in front of her at third base. Um, and uh, we're thankful that we have Sarah Mosley back to play third base. Uh, so uh, she may not be a starter. Hannah may not be a starter here in the early going, but she's going to be somebody we're excited about. And then Emma Castori is just a little softball player. She can catch and, you know, she can go play left field and she'll pinch run for us. And she's just going to be kind of a utility role player to help us, you know, try and win the, win the ball game, but probably won't see as much opportunity in terms of being in the lineup. Tony Baldwin joining us here on Softball Media Days, the Georgia head softball coach. And coach, you mentioned earlier a gauntlet of a schedule. Uh, you're going to Clearwater. You just so happen to be playing Florida State again. You've also got UCLA on the slate. By the way, thank you to the folks at Clearwater for releasing the full schedule today as yes. we recorded. That was fun. Very helpful. Yes, you've also got Virginia Tech, Clemson. You're going out to play Stanford next year. Why was it important to you to put all of these difficult games on the schedule sure. this year? Well, you know, I just felt like um, we were going to have a pretty good team. So let's go play. Uh, not that I'm ever afraid to play somebody, but, you know, there is a art to creating your schedule to help you, you know, be prepared for the postseason. Um I knew that we were going to have a lot of experience back. And so one of the most fun things you can do is just play good teams. And I felt confident that we would be able to um, manage that. Uh, now, I don't know that I necessarily thought this is what it was going to look like. You know, I said we would do a home and home with Stanford for Stanford before I knew what this uh, Nigeri Kennedy thing was going to be about. Uh, right, so. Yeah. Maybe could have done that a little differently, knowing that she was going to be there. Um, but yeah, you know, Jess does a great job with her program. Uh, and, you know, we haven't ever been to, you know, Northern California as a team. And uh, it's not too awful far from Sydney Kuma, you know, as a Central California gal. And so getting back out there where maybe her family could come up and see was was really my thought behind it. Um, 
but yeah, we're excited to go play. You know, I, I like our team and, you know, I think that we, we can compete. I think we have the depth to play some of this schedule and, uh, you know, let's go play and see what it looks like. You know, last year, clearly the NCAA tournament, uh, rewarded people for their success in, um, in February and early March. And so, uh, you know, if we manage our uh, schedule uh, that we have in front of us, then I suspect that we'll get rewarded for that too. And that's not going to sound so uh, odd uh, after next year when Stanford's going to be an ACC member. So they're right. they're basically an East Coast team. They're a local, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, very exciting time in Athens right now because uh, Jack uh, Jack Turner is getting uh, a big renovation ahead of uh, going to be hosting the SEC tournament in twenty twenty five. Uh, what is that going to look like when that's all finished? It's awesome, man. I tell you, we have to pinch ourselves. Uh, so thankful for the administration and all the people that have, you know, been involved and put it together. $38.5 million project that doesn't touch the playing field or the existing stands. So you think about like, you know, what Oklahoma's building and it's from scratch, uh, where, you know, we're darn near on the same, uh, dollar value and not doing anything to the existing field. So it is all player amenities. It's fan amenities. Um, and it's really exciting. They've, uh, they're moving along extremely quick. Uh, the Jack looks a lot different. I tell you, it's a little shocking without the trees behind the outfield fence. Um, I will say it looks much better than I expected it to. Um, but I will look forward to, uh, all of the stuff being completed to, to kind of enclose it the way that we're used to. But yeah, it's really exciting. A 28,000 square foot facility built right behind the left field fence, permanent seating and, and center field and moving the scoreboard to right field and, and planting some new trees out there, uh, covering our, our uh, home uh, bullpen. So, cause I tell you in September and in uh, late April and May, that bullpen is a sauna. Um, so, you know, that may be the part that coach Chelsea's most excited about. Uh, and then all new layout of the coaching offices. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's just really exciting. Our players are super excited. Uh, the administration hasn't, um, cut any corners. Uh, we got a new 6,500 square foot weight room right there behind our outfield fence, 6,500 square foot indoor hitting facility that looks right into the stadium. Um, yeah, it's pretty nice. We're, we're very thankful. That's amazing. We can't wait to see it. Yes. We're yeah. excited. Be there very soon. Tony Baldwin joining us here for softball media days and coach, we got some big picture things and then we'll let you go. We know that, that you're off for, uh, for Thanksgiving with the family, but we have to talk about rules changes as we always do. I feel like every year this year, it felt like, it was a pretty seismic shift in a lot of ways that these rules are discussed. Pitching rules are obviously quite different. Obstruction has been reworded a, a hair, at least. Uh, I mean, we've seen we've seen a lot of coaches talk about the pitch clock in venue. That'll that'll certainly change things. The double bag is now something that can more readily be used across softball, and that's just to name a few. Was there anything in particular that you really liked that you saw on the list this year? Well, I like the idea of trying to, you know, keep the pace of play going. You know, I, I think these, the, the electronic communication in terms of the calling the pitches and the pitch clock, they can 
maintain and, and, and improve a pace of play without changing the fundamentals of the game. Um, you know, in this day and age, you know, who knows what TV is going to look like in five years, right? And, and, and what that platforms are all going to look like. So we want to make sure that we're catering to the time slots and making sure that we can continue to put softball on television and, and get it as much attention as we are. That's what, why our game is growing um, without changing the effect of the game. You know, 20 years ago, there was a college baseball world series game, national championship. I think Arizona state and USC, that was like 19 to 16 was the final score and everybody went crazy and they changed the bats and they changed the ball. And, and, and it took 10 years for college baseball to recover from it um, because the game became, you know, slow and boring, quite frankly, in terms of the scoring. Uh, they've balanced it back out now. And now you see, you know, college baseball starting to, you know, hit its stride again. And uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, that softball didn't take that kind of a step. So I think the electronic pitch calling was a huge advantage. We we put it in this fall and, and it was a game changer. Uh, and then the pitch clock, you know, like if you can't get it done within 20 seconds, you know, you're messing around like I, in international play. I I've done three summers and whatever, how many events of international play. I think one time it came into play, you know, so just handle your business. So uh, I'm excited about both of those. Uh, the safety base is a non-factor, honestly, like it, the, the kids grow up playing on it. So it really is not something that's new to them. Um, it does increase safety, you know, some, uh, I don't think it's like earth shattering, but if it, if it improves at all, then why not? Right. It doesn't change the effect of the game. So I think that's pretty simple. I have no idea how this whole new, the new pitching rules in terms of like losing contact and all, like good luck to the umpires trying to figure out what that looks like. Cause everybody's got an opinion. Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know why we don't just go to the international rule and just let it go. Like have one, why not have one rule? Like everybody plays on it, but you know, I, I don't, what, what do I know? <laughs> well, I think that's right about like the, the pitch clock. And we saw it in major league baseball this year. There was like two or three in the first two or three weeks of the season and then it, everyone pretty much adapted to it real quick and it wasn't a big deal. And I think that's going to be. I haven't heard the stats for this year in Major League Baseball, but I think it shaved like 40 or 50 minutes off the yeah. game in Minor League Baseball the year before. And so it, it can have a pretty significant impact. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the last few years we've been talking about how realignment was going to affect the SEC here during uh, softball media days, but. This year in the offseason, we've seen it affect pretty much everybody else, including where this is going to be the last hurrah for the Pac-12, which was, you know, has always been the the premier softball conference right. in America. Um, and all these movements have been because of football and, and men's basketball, but it is affecting all the other sports, obviously. Uh, where do you see the realignment nationally affecting sports like softball? Well, you know, again, I, I, I hate it for the student athletes, 
you know, because uh, we're fortunate at, at Georgia that, you know, again, I, I, we're in the haves, right? So we're, we're on the fortunate side of things when it comes to our ability to travel and stay in good hotels and, and, and those kinds of things. But even still, we don't travel the way the football team does or the basketball team does or those kind of sports. And so uh, some, there are power five schools that don't have the budgets that Georgia does that are putting their student athletes in some rough travel. You know, you, you just talk about, go ask the teams up North, like Michigan and Michigan state and Wisconsin, you know, how many trips South do they have to take to start off their season? Right. And, and so the first five weeks of their season, maybe six, they're getting on a plane and traveling South somewhere. Uh, now you come back and not only do you have to travel, you got to travel out to California. You got to travel across country. That's a rough go of it. I don't know how they're going to manage it. You know, I, I, I wish uh, the best for the student athletes through it all. Um, I just think we're coming up on a crazy time in college athletics. And I, I think, you know, the concern is five or six years from now, what is it really going to look like? Totally agree. And I think that the sentiment that all the coaches that we've chatted with have shared uh, has been, thank goodness we're in the SEC. And, you know, the SEC, while yeah. yes, you know, this this new round of realignment did start with bringing in two geographically mm. uh, geographically relevant additions. Yeah, they fit. Sure. Uh, yes, uh, that, that all of this has gotten a little bit out of hand. Real so, quick, let me just add ahead. in there. You know, there's all this conversation and rule changes about mental health and work-life balance for the coaches. And now we've got dead periods and super dead periods and super, super duper dead periods where like you can't even don't mention recruiting ever or like all of this stuff for, because people, you know, got to have work-life balance and need somebody else to regulate it. Okay. That's my soapbox. Sorry. But anyway, it's getting silly in my opinion with all this rules yet you're going to send people across country all over the place. They're going to get back on Sunday night at two o'clock in the morning and they got to get kids up uh, and, and off to school Monday morning if they're a family person. And, and uh, that stuff, you know, that takes a toll on you too. Absolutely. I mean, and then you could make the argument, well, maybe they can do a series on a Wednesday and a Sunday, but then they're missing school for a week and it, wow. It's just mayhem, and I don't know if there's an easy answer. That's been another, no. I think, common theme in these conversations. Unfortunately, I wish we had the answers. Uh, but, Coach, I do want to ask you about another topic that's popped up this year and really the last couple of years, the possibility of returning to a neutral site SEC tournament. Now, I know that Georgia's about to host in a few years, and, and obviously if this were to happen, it would happen well after that. But is that something that you've thought about and that you would be in favor of? Yeah, I think our game has grown to a place where we could support something like that if we got in the right situation and venue. And, you know, I just look at the impact and the enthusiasm that comes from the SEC baseball championship. And uh, it gets to a place where peep fans are staying whether their team's still in the tournament or not. And uh, I think softball is to a place now, particularly SEC softball, where we can sustain something like that if we get it in the right place and the right situation. And, um, you know, I think I, I have a lot of trust in our uh, 
conference office, you know, working through all of the different workups and logistics and thinking through that. And like you said, that's not an easy decision. And it it's not one that's just being made on a whim by, by our, our people. Um, but I, I I'm open to it. You know, I think there's a, there's an opportunity to create a really cool uh, experience for the student athletes and the fans. If we can make it work. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of stuff that I don't even probably have answers to, or, uh, you know, the unintended consequences of doing something like that, you know, you got to be mindful of, uh, I think it's great, uh, publicity advertising exposure for each one of our schools when it's on your campus and you get to show off kind of what you're all about. And I, I don't take that part lightly, but Hey, I'm just out for trying to create the best experience for our, uh, student athletes, you know, and I think, uh, there's a really good, I don't know if it's, uh, it's not a podcast, but there's a really good thing out there that talks about, you know, your goal as a coach is trying to fix potholes. And, you know, cause at the end of the day, what people remember when it's all said and done is they remember the highlights and they remember the end. And so if you can create good highlights and make things exciting at the end, those are the things that they'll latch on to the most. And, and if we can create a really exciting, you know, conference tournament, then I think that's going to be a win for all of the student athletes. One thing you'd have to happen for that to, to take place would be a facility capable of hosting it. Uh, and we've seen so much here recently in women's athletics, specifically as far as huge crowds like we had at, you know, Nebraska volleyball in the football stadium, Iowa women's basketball in the football stadium, uh, great ratings as well uh, for everything. Uh, with all those numbers coming in, is that something that these the decision makers are looking at when you're talking about renovations like they're doing in Athens and maybe building facility that there is a, a, a crowd out there, there would be uh, somebody that would be, you know, wanting to take part in that? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure that they are. Like, I, I, how could you not? You know, I think right now there's just a lot of enthusiasm and support uh, for women's athletics and and particularly softball, I think. You know, but for me, the gold standard is Hoover. What Hoover did for the uh, World Games in 2022 of taking that stadium, converting it into a true softball venue, um, and then having it in a place where there was that kind of support, where there's 10,000 people for a gold medal game, you know, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. I, and I've been to Oklahoma City, and and I'm not trying to take away anything from, from that experience, but I'll tell you, that World Games experience in that venue was as good as any that I've ever been in. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I mean, you you were in there. Caleb Rowe and I were just in in a room somewhere at the BJCC. But you were in the venue. I will say this: just calling it remotely, you could feel that, and you could tell that if they had added the seats out in the outfield, that that could have been a legit, yeah, like full on, similar right. to Hall of Fame Stadium setup. Well, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I heard some rumblings that the SEC baseball was considering moving to uh uh. To maybe I heard like maybe Dallas or moving to a major league stadium for their tournament. I was like all for it. I was like, come on, <laughs> give up Go. the venue. Yes. We'll take Hoover tomorrow. Um, even if it is close to Tuscaloosa, but uh, it, it, 
you know, as it turned out, they, I think they made a great decision of keeping it right there at Hoover for the SEC baseball. And, you know, if we can find something that matches that kind of uh, environment and uh, facility, then, then I would be open to looking at it. All right, coach, real quick, two fun questions, and then we'll let you go. Sorry that we've held you hostage here. Tony Baldwin joining us here for softball media days, coach, we're doing an all sec pitcher draft very soon on this podcast from 97 to the present day we're going to put together a staff it'll be tom myself and a couple guests uh who knows who that will be most of the guests we would ask have now become coaches around the league but if i asked you which pitchers from the start to now would be up on your draft board besides monica abbott who would you say from outside of georgia we're asking for around the league sure well you know it's uh, interesting because years you could take like all right i would take 2021 montana fouts up against anybody right i mean the year she threw the perfect game at the world series uh that was when her game against us in athens was as hopeless helpless as i've ever felt as a coach it's like i don't know what to tell you good luck that was my (laughs) coaching strategy against her at that point um so that one 2021 montana would certainly be up there uh i tell you I know it's not supposed to be one of ours, but 2018 Brittany Gray was as good as anybody for a long time there. Uh, You know, I go back to, uh, gosh, Hannah Rogers had some years where she was pretty darn good. Jackie Traina, I mean, how could you not have her in contention? Hoover, Carly Hoover is Mm. as good as probably just about anybody. Maddie Penta, you know, like, it's just silly good. You go back to, you know, Chelsea Thomas was awfully good there for a stretch for Missouri. It's pretty hard to come down to Kelsey Nunley, you know, heck pitched Kentucky to the world series. Um, you know, you got to worry that you're missing people in there. You know, the Renfro <laughs> sisters at Tennessee, you know, if you're coming up, if you got a draft board, those are some of the ones that certainly I think go on the board. Uh, you know, Kelly Barnhill had a year there where it was as good as anybody. Right. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that's, those are the ones that come to mind is like, gave me some nightmares. Well, you mentioned what, what you did with, with Montana, but when you're, when you're a hitting coach, what, what is it about a pitcher that is when you see it is the thing that you most least want to see when you're trying to coach somebody to hit somebody? Well, that year, her location was the best that it ha- has been maybe in any of her years, is in my opinion. And the velocity was so good. You know, I mean, that year, uh, I forget what it was against us, but it was like 95% of the one-two pitches were rise balls. And we would say, hey, she's throwing a rise ball here. Don't swing at it. And we would swing at it and strike out because it was so good and it was so fast that they could not lay off of it, even when I would tell them to lay off of it. Um, So, yeah. So she just had the perfect combination of location, uh, movement, and, uh, you know, could just get the ball from low in to out to up. Nobody can really handle all, all of those quadrants. There's not been a hitter, ever that can do all of those in the same time. So she was just a handful. And, you know, I always just had tons of respect for Stephanie as a pitch caller and she seemed to have it dialed in that year for sure. 
Well, Coach, you know, I got to ask a food question uh, to wrap things up. And uh, we were talking a few months ago in the Masters, we were talking about what our uh, Masters dinner menu would be if we were the champion of the Masters and had an opportunity to pick that menu. If you were the Masters champion and you got to pick that champion's dinner menu, what would you have on it? Ooh. Well, I would certainly have some sort of cowboy ribeye on there of just Ooh. big, fat, nasty, you know, ribeye with uh that was my gold medal me meal in chili so that's where i would start and then um then after that probably go with you know some mashed potatoes and it was just a huge fat ribeye no sides no nothing just give me the meat and i'm going to enjoy every minute of it <laughs> sounds great have you been yeah. to the masters it's not it's not far i i know i have not i have not you know, unfortunately, we're usually playing during the right. Masters. You know, yeah, just the Monday practice round and, you know, the <laughs> see. A little busy during ah, that time. I yeah. mean, no one's saying go on Masters Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I would love to, though. Uh, our staff, uh, we all really like to golf. And so we we go out and we'll have a nine-hole staff meeting from time to time. But we went out to the East Lake for the PGA Championship last year. Ooh. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. Well, I, maybe we'll play some golf while we're in Athens. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot oh. to do. So uh, so yeah. plenty on the docket. Tony Baldwin joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for the time and best of luck this year. We'll see you in a few months. Thanks, guys. Again, thank you for all you do for uh, the SEC and college softball and happy holidays to you guys. Thank you, Coach. Thank you to Coach Baldwin. We're back. I, I don't know which detail to pinpoint. Tim Walton driving or the fact that Tony Baldwin said, this is the best roster we've ever had at Georgia top to bottom. They're both very interesting uh, aspects. <laughs> uh, I think we should get Netflix on the phone to sell the buddy cop comedy between Tim Walton and Tony Baldwin. I think this would, that would be a, a highly viewed <laughs> series if we were able to make it. That's, that's a quite a statement considering some of the teams that Georgia has fielded in the past. I tend to agree with what he says. I, I think so too. And it's a good schedule. I mean, you've got Alabama at home, Arkansas at home, Missouri at home, Florida at home. I think you like to have Alabama and Arkansas at home. The biggest circle here is at Tennessee. So if Georgia wants to win this conference, they don't necessarily have to win the series at Tennessee. We've obviously seen in the past with Alabama and Arkansas the last time we were in this rotation, that doesn't necessarily change who wins the league, but you've got to win a game there. Like you have to, oh, if sure. you want any shot. Yeah. And I actually like it for both Georgia and Alabama that that series is so early on in the conference schedule. Hmm. It kind of, it gives you a, it gives both teams a kind of, all right, this is the standard. This is where we need to be a point of reference. And, you know, unless one team sweeps the other, which I don't think is going to happen. Right. It, I don't think it will eliminate either team, but it kind of it kind of shows where both teams need to be after that first week. And then I think the other thing worth noting outside of a Tennessee road series at Ole Miss, at Kentucky, at Mississippi State, those are all extremely winnable road series. And dare I say, you could sweep a couple of those. Yeah, that that is a great road slate uh, other than the Tennessee series. Right. To have a great chance to win some road games. And, and winning road games in this conference, you know, that's that's the difference between winning the league and not, is when can you 
win games and series on the road. Yeah, I mean, that's like gold. You just scoop it up yes. whenever you can. Get those quality road wins, and Georgia certainly has the opportunity. A team not on here, LSU. We'll talk about the Tigers next. That was the only connection I could make. That was well. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just I'm doing what I can. Trying to be a quality podcaster on a night where my voice is hoarse because the SEC championship game was nuts. <laughs> it was quite crazy. Oh, Speaking man. of Georgia. Yes. We'll just transition right out of that and get ready to talk to Beth Torino when we come back. Welcome back. Beth Tarina is about to join us. And, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that you know, Tom, that my voice is not hoarse because I was barking at anyone. I was just well, talking and yelling like a human. Yes. Because grown people shouldn't bark at other people. Yes, indeed. Sorry to all the Georgia fans. It was just a, a small swipe. We actually uh, are, are very much supporting you in your Orange Bowl bid. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I've, I'll bark at somebody. I'll do it. Yeah. I will do it. Look out. Let's go. Last resort for everyone. <laughs> I want the white chocolate cheesecake in front of me. Yes. On, I think that's December 29th, maybe. Sounds right. Yeah. So As I'm barking at people. <laughs> woof, woof. <laughs> LSU, wow. another right. tough regional last year losing at home in the baton rouge regional louisiana last year i famously isn't the right word somewhat controversially had lsu ridiculously low in my preseason poll and they finished one spot higher so i think the biggest question for lsu right now with as good a senior class as maybe there is in the conference can they finally get over the hump yeah because we've talked about it it seems like you know whenever we start to introduce a team here it's like well this team there are so many positivities and there's so many things to where they can be even higher than what the prognosticators are putting them. Everybody can't be it. Everybody can't be at the top of the league. Everybody, a lot of people have the same, have the talent to be at the top of the league. And LSU is one of those teams has the talent to be at the top of the league, but are they going to be able to put it together and, you know, avoid the swoon? We have the swoon, the swoon seems to happen a lot with LSU. Can they avoid it? Uh, if they can, you know, they, no reason why they can't be, you know, yeah. top half of the league, if not better. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are there's going to be a team that's really, really talented that's not going to have the year that's not going to you know finish very high in this conference. Um, unfortunately for LSU, the last couple of years has kind of been them. We'll see if they can buck that trend here this year. Yeah, I mean, this feels like an important year for LSU for Beth Torina. Like this is again this senior class, and we'll talk about it with Coach Torina in just a moment. Allie Newland, Danica Coffey, Sierra Briggs, Taylor Pleasance, Raylene Gutierrez. You've got some people who've come in from the portal that are a part of that class. It is a stacked group that has never been to Oklahoma City. Yeah, it's it's it seems very odd. Like somebody like Taylor Pleasance can't go her entire oh, career and never go to Oklahoma City. Completely in that mode. Like in full, it would be a shame if she right. never got to swing a bat at Hall of Fame Stadium. Again, they have the talent, they have all the resources, they have the coaching, they, they have, there's no reason why they shouldn't, other than they're in the SEC, and if you're not getting better, you're falling behind. Well, let's hear what Beth Tarina has to say. She joined us as we roll on with day three of Softball Media Days. Here is the head coach of the LSU Tigers. Welcome back 
back to Softball Media Days. It is time to go down to one of our favorite cities to visit and one of our favorite people, Beth Tarina, the head coach for the LSU Tigers. Coach, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And coach, I know last year was was interesting for you. There were a lot of highs. There were It was a difficult finish for your team. What were your main takeaways from the 2023 season? Well, I think the good part about this group is that we return – um, the majority of this team, you know, we lost Georgia Clark and Allie Kilponen, which are huge losses, of course. I mean, they've been mainstays for us for five years, but I think we returned such a large core. Um, and I think they're very hungry uh, to do more and to, you know, be in a spot where they haven't been in their careers. So I think they're excited and, you know, I'm excited for them. You talk about, you know, trying to move forward, trying to get to that place that this senior class hasn't been. Oklahoma City, I'm sure, is what you're referring to. What is it going to take to get back to that spot this year, especially with college softball just getting better all the way around? Yeah, I truly think they have all the pieces, though. I think, um, you know, the number one thing we have going for us, too, is just the experience level that they have. I mean, we have eight seniors on this team, five fifth years and a sixth year, and, you know, most of them have – three and 400 college at bats. So ton of experience already in this lineup. Um, I think they know each other well. They know, um, you know, at this point, they know what they need to do to support each other um, and how to be a complete team, not just individuals. So I think that's really going to help them. And coach, if I may, just a couple of these seniors, Allie Newland, Danica Coffey, Sierra Briggs, Raylene Gutierrez, Taylor Pleasance. You've got some people who've joined you at different points throughout their careers, but but as you said, this is a big senior class that has seen a lot. What's been the biggest joy coaching this group as their careers have gone on? I love this group. Not only are they awesome softball players, but they're incredible people. I think they truly have pushed the culture and the standards of this program forward. Um, they understand how to work at the absolute highest level. They're truly elite workers. Um, and I think, you know, there, there hasn't been a day where we're worried about their decision-making or, you know, who they are. Like all of those things have been so easy with this group. They've truly been a joy to coach and um, just know how to work and know how to support each other. And that's been really fun to be their coach. Well, one of those was Taylor Pleasance, who had a really good statistical year last year. I know she was dealing with some injuries, but she was able to come back for the back half of the season. What has she done this off season, this fall, this summer to try and propel her even higher in 2024? I think the big thing for Taylor is just like you said, putting together a complete season where she's healthy. So a lot of the things she's been doing are, you know, things to make her try to be more durable, be more um, able to withstand the, you know, grind of just playing shortstop in the SEC day in, day out. I think, you know, she's a tall, really, you know, like just a not your typical shortstop. Right. So I think the wear and tear on her body can be a little bit more at times. She just has a lot to move around and um, does it at the highest level. So she demands a ton from her body. So I think, you know, that's that's part of it. But um, she has been just such a mainstay for us. I can't even fathom ever writing a lineup without the name Taylor Pleasance in it. And I don't want to, um, you know, I'm going to enjoy writing it down all 56 plus times this year because she truly has just represented who we are for so long. I'm, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. So we're like so far from senior day and I'm already not <laughs> wanting it to happen. Um, but she's just the total package human um, academic, just high, high academics athlete. She's just got it all. So um, I think it will be rare to find another Taylor Pleasance. 
Mm. And you've also had two mainstays at the top of your lineup in Danica Coffey and Sierra Briggs for many, many years. What has that duo meant to you and meant to this program throughout their careers? I feel similar about both of them too. It's like, oh, how do we even write a lineup without the two of them? They're just so special. Um, I love how they feed off each other. Um, it's so fun just seeing the havoc that they create on defenses. And the really cool thing too is those two challenge their teammates in the best ways all the time. Um, Sierra's constantly challenging the outfield to be better, making every day fun. I mean, just shagging balls and BP with Sierra Briggs is like the most fun thing you'll ever do. Um, and then Danica is just such a good supporter of our young Tigers. I mean, just constantly like you want to come hit, you want to do this, like Danica is going to show up with you. And that's been such a cool role for her to play just to be that support system for the younger Tigers that she's trying to bring up and, and truly leave a legacy with. I love that. Beth Tarina joining us here in Softball Media Days and coach in the offseason, you brought in Bryce Neal, who had a phenomenal success as an assistant with Louisville. We saw the Cardinals really improve their offensive numbers while he was over there. What changes has he helped bring about since his arrival to Baton Rouge? Yeah, it's been fun. You know, it, it, it's so sad to not have Lindsay with us, right? It's very bittersweet, but um, it's almost like what you didn't know you needed. You know, he's he challenges us every day. I think we were very comfortable where we were. And as much as we tried to do new things or, you know, like we wanted to reinvent this or do that, it was so comfortable just to fall back into where we had always been. So it's nice that he has some different ideas. He's not afraid to speak, to challenge us. I think he's really um, taken on a great supportive role with Howard in the offense. He's helped the infield a lot. He's the point person there. Um, he's doing all of our throwing programs. So he's really brought a lot to the table and uh, we're excited to have him. As we switch to pitching, let's look at Sydney Berzon. I think that she had a really compelling case for SEC Freshman of the Year last year. She had a great season. What has she done in the fall and in the off season to, to propel her ahead of this sophomore campaign? Yeah, she's like the wizard, you know, she's always got something brewing, right? She's like got all these thoughts and ideas and um, she's really spent a lot of time in the off season trying to take on some new projects. So she's always tinkering and finding ways to be better. She's a lot of fun. She makes me want to be in the bullpen every single day, but she is extremely talented. I say calling a game for her is like playing a video game. Um, just the way she can dial it up, all the speeds, the locations. She's just been a lot of fun. I'm excited about the year that's in front of her. And you talked earlier about losing Allie Capone, and obviously she was such a big part of your program for so many years. What lessons maybe did, did she impart down to Sydney that she can take throughout the rest of her LSU career? Yeah, and the cool thing is we still have Allie with us as a student coach, so she's still in the bullpen with us every day. She's still helping them. She's still you know, reminding them of the things that she wished she had done better too, of how to be more confident, of how to attack hitters, all those things. And, you know, some of the stories of how she had to have some growing pains and learn some things. She's really still imparting those stories on them and, and helping me every day just to, you know, teach them and coach them. So it's been great having her. And it was, it was a nice transition for me. I, I didn't want to lose her either. So it was nice not having to part with her just yet as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Everybody just hanging out. Love that. Love that. All my people. Let's keep these people forever, you know? <laughs> All the people. Absolutely. What about the rest of the pitching staff? I mean, you know, you've got Emily Casanova, Raylan Chafin is back. You've got some people uh, to surround Berzon, but how have the roles uh, shifted for some of those folks? 
Yeah, I think Raylan Chapin is going to be a huge key for us. And um, she's had a really strong fall, throwing really good velocity, some of the highest velocity numbers we've seen in her career. So that's been fun. Um, I think Emily Casanova is talented and is capable of so many things, just needs some opportunity and she's going to get it. And then quietly, Emma Strude has put together an incredibly strong fall, just quietly gone about her business, but it has been incredibly strong and has put together some really good numbers. So I'm excited about that. And then um, you didn't mention our big addition there with Kelly Lynch, um, who I think is just so special and so talented and will be a huge key to what happens to the Tigers this year. Um, is the season that she puts together. Um, I think she does so many special things and we've seen it in some competition. Holy cow, nobody even puts a ball in play off of her. She, you know, she's striking out 13 out of 15 and 11 out of 12 and then um, a lot of these fall games. So she is really, really special and was a huge, huge addition for us. Yeah, that was my next question. Kelly Lynch coming in from Washington. And I feel like with the Huskies, we saw her more as that utility role as somebody over at first base and hitting. It sounds like she's done a lot of pitching this fall for your team. How will that role be defined for her? Is there a spot where maybe she's going to be more in the field or do you consider her more of a pitcher? I, she's definitely a utility player. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, she's going to be in the lineup. You know, she's going to have some opportunities on defense. You know, and then I think, you know, her big thing is she wanted to grow as a pitcher. And I think she's done that. We've challenged her in some ways um, and we've seen some growth with her, some new things that she's added. I think it's going to be a really exciting year for her. And like I said, I think she's going to be a really big key um, to our success is how she's able to come in and attack the SEC. You've also got, as I count, six freshmen coming in this year. Who should we be on the lookout for? I love them. They're fun. They're really, really fun. They're um, it's, it's cool having like this big, like age gap, you know, where we have all these girls. I mean, Hannah Carson is like 24 years old. And then we have Tori Edwards, who's 18, you know, just trying to figure it all out and trying to put them together. So um, it's been really fun. I, the two uh, middle infielders are really special. And I, I think they are going to be the future of the program. I can see them being the next Danica and Sierra combo, um, Sierra Daniel and Maddie McKee. Um, they're really special. They they do a lot of fun things and they've been just so bought in and open to learning. Um, Tori Edwards is incredibly strong. I mean, just a incredible power offensive player. Really, really special um, out of the Texas, uh, Texas Glory program. She's done a lot of good things. Um, Jaden Leno in the outfield, Savannah Bedell in the outfield. They've also had really strong falls. Um, and then, and then Maddie Manning is a corner infielder from Louisiana. Yeah. Tori Edwards. I, I think it was the Alliance all-star game that I was calling where she had just a monster home run. And I thought, oh no, this, this is somebody to watch out for. <laughs> yeah. Well, she does that every day here. I can tell you that's <laughs> real because she does that all the time. She is a extremely talented athlete. So I'm excited about her future as much as any player we have in the program. I love it. Well, Coach, as we transition more into the big picture stuff, we have to start, as we always do, I feel like, with rule changes. It was a rule change year. Some things shifted. Pitching rules have been certainly adjusted. Obstruction has been, quote unquote, clarified. Different coaches have had different opinions on what that word means. Um, there have been replay additions to the list. Was there anything that you were particularly excited about when you saw the rule changes come this year? I think the pitching rules are going to be good for the pitchers. I think they're going to be tough for umpires to call. I'm a little concerned at where this, the road that this leads us down. Um, you know, I think it might be tough to differentiate between the leap, the crow hop and, and we've, 
maybe made the job tougher for umpires, but um, I do think we have created, um, you know, something that's going to really bring some strong pitching back to the game. I mean, I think just the separation of the feet on the mound a couple of years ago, we've seen higher velocities and things um, from being able to drop your foot back, right? We've seen higher velocities than we've ever seen before. And you've got to think that had to probably be part of it. Um, so I think that this will continue to elevate the pitching and, you know, I'm a pitching person, so I'm all for that. Let's strike them out, you know? So, um, I, I think that role will be really interesting to see how it works out this year. Yeah. And to your point, the point that I've been making on the air for years is all of these rule changes, typically, I feel like, and all the technology and all of that stuff that goes into the prep for games, they've all favored the offense. So I feel like anything that we can do to help out pitching, helps the game. Now, my whole staff would disagree with me on this because, you know, they're all offensive people. And they're always <laughs> like, oh, all we do is help the pitchers. They were just saying this the other day, like, we're always helping the pitchers. We're always helping the pitchers. Everything's for the pitchers. I'm with you, though. I disagree. So I think that we haven't helped the pitchers in quite some time. So um, I'm excited to see it happen. Amen, coach. Amen. <laughs> the last few times that we've met up here on this podcast series, we've talked about conference realignment as it pertains to the SEC. We've discussed it at nauseum. Texas and OU are coming. We know that it'll be big for the sport. But we've seen this year nationally things changing more than ever before. The Pac-12 is basically gone. We, we've seen teams of the group of five level shifting around. And when all of this happens, everybody's talking about two things, but, but really one thing, men's basketball and football. And I feel like a lot of people are forgetting about the softball, the volleyball, the soccer, all of those sports. Do you have concerns about the direction that conference realignment is taking collegiate athletics as a whole? I mean, I, I think Honestly, of, of all the moments, this is probably the best time ever to be in the SEC. So, you know, I think we have great leadership. We have great vision from the SEC office. So I think of all the times I've felt great about being in the SEC, and I've been here for a long, long time, right, as a player too. Um, but I think this is the time where I feel so good about being in the SEC. Um, I'm proud of what we've accomplished, but I also feel comfortable in the direction that we're headed. So I, I'm just truly thankful and, and grateful to be in this league. A potential direction is a neutral SEC softball tournament. This has been something that's been discussed a little bit in recent times. Is that something you've given a lot of thought to? And where do you stand? Well, you know, to date myself here, back, back, back in the day, right? When I played, it was a neutral site. Um, and I think it was a cool event. I have loved being on people's campuses, though. I think, you know, they're so set up to run a softball game, right? It's not like we're transforming a venue. They have a beautiful venue um, that's set up for a softball game. Um, so I see pros and cons to both. But um, I do think some of the ideas and the thoughts we've heard from some different sites around the country could be really cool experience for our athletes. And really, that's what we're trying to do, right, is just have the best experience for our student athletes. So wherever the SEC feels we can do that, I'm on board and I'm I'm all for it. The Tigers will be there. Wherever they tell <laughs> us to show up, we'll be there and we'll be ready to play. Deal us in. What would be, in your mind, the dream location for a neutral SEC softball tournament? Are you thinking the beach? Are you thinking Nashville? What would you like? Other than Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, I guess that's not super neutral, is it? We're pretty passionate around here. Um, but sure, yeah, let's go to the beach. Why not? Let's do it. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, I think there's been some fun venues where they've done some USA softball events and things like that, too, where they really know how to handle a softball game. So I think that would be great. 
one of the questions that Tom has been asking everybody, and unfortunately Tom's not here to, to chat with you today, uh, is about attendance and, and the growth of women's sports. We've seen at the Women's College World Series, they put in the upper decks and they've sold out. We've seen uh, the World Games in Hoover do a great job selling out an international event a few years ago. Nebraska volleyball, Iowa women's basketball, they have filled football stadiums. We've seen the ratings skyrocketing in all women's sports, I feel like, the last few years. Do you think that this rise will and should force the powers that be across college sports to think a little bit bigger when it comes to building facilities and, I guess, improving stadiums across softball? Yeah, I think that what we've seen in women's sports is just incredible. You know, we sit on a campus where we have four of the top five female NIL winners here, you know, at LSU with Angel Reese and Olivia Dunn and, uh, you know, a few of our other women's basketball players. I mean, just the opportunities for women that just continue to grow are so exciting. Um, I think it's really, really fun to see people appreciate their incredible talent, their incredible competitiveness, all the things that they bring to athletics. So, um, you know, I think they should be rewarded with great facilities and great opportunities to compete in the best venues. And the SEC has done such a good job of that already. LSU has given us incredible support. I mean, our indoor facility is just unmatched. So um, I think the things LSU have been great. I would love to see it just continue throughout the country, but um, love to see the support of the women and um, you know, watching the women's basketball team in the season they had in the following the Angel Reese got was just really incredible to see it from, you know, we're still on the outside looking in, but we're closer than some, right? But just to be be a small part of that and see that happening firsthand was really fun. What were y'all doing to watch the national championship for LSU women last year? Did y'all have a watch party? Were you playing? I think we were up in Columbia, Missouri, so we were watching at the hotel after our game, but what were the Tigers doing? Yeah, our team is really close to them. So, I mean, they are invested. They are cheering like they are in venue, you know, like they are screaming and jumping up and down. They're like not in their seats. So um, our team's really close to their team. So it was a lot of fun seeing them through that. Well, Coach, we've got the fun questions next to wrap things up. Beth Tarina joining us here on Softball BD Days. And Coach, Tom and I are going to be doing an all-time SEC pitcher draft on the pod in a few weeks. This is... One of my favorite things to do, we drafted the All-Decade team a couple years ago during COVID, and now we are looking at the vast, vast set of options from 1997 to the present day, pitching-wise in the SEC. And I figured we might as well ask the experts, the people who have faced, who have coached against, who played against a lot of these talented, talented pitchers. Who would you put at the top of your draft board if you were what joining about the us? People, what are the people that pitch? You know, I'm just kidding. I don't think my numbers are going to get hey, me on board. <laughs> Please don't look up my numbers, whatever you do. Please do not. Those that can't coach, right? Is that what they say? So those that can't do coach. Hey, those that can't play, talk about it. So I understand. So please, please don't look up my numbers. Um, Man, my draft board, it would take me an hour to talk to you about this. So, and there would be five tigers on the list for me or more. Um, You know, I, I think the first one here is, I don't know. It's tough, man. Brittany Sneed, three-time All-American from here. Allie Wall, Jasper, a three-time All-American from here. Um, Carly Hoover is a two-time All-American. Rachel Fico is a two-time first-team All-American. Um, and I, I know I'm forgetting some, and that's just LSU. We're not even getting to the others. Um, I mean, Kelsey Dunn's a four-time All-American in Alabama. Like, we're not even getting to the this is a tough list. I could never do this. I'm I'm glad I'm not involved in this process because I could never ever make this list with you. 
Is there anybody else outside of LSU that that immediately came to mind when I brought up that question? Obviously, Monica Abbott is going to be the number one pick. We know that. But anybody else? Kelsey Dunn. It comes up in my brain um, right away. I think she's a four-time All-American, too, which is like just such an incredible, incredible feat. I mean, so she, you know, comes up right away. Um, I mean, there's just so many. Where do you even start? Trinity Johnson, right? She was Mm. incredible for South Carolina. There's so many that come up. Trendy Johnson is high on my board, so I'm glad you brought her up. You're the first coach to mention her. Well, that's because I'm the one that was having to play against her and try to figure it out. (laughs) Well, Trendy Johnson will definitely be getting a shout out once we once we do that podcast series. Finally, coach, we, we love to talk about food here on this podcast. You know that. And a couple months ago, we did our Masters Champions menu, a champions dinner before the Masters, hosted by the year's previous winner. He gets to pick the menu, starters, entree, dessert, sides, all that fun stuff. So I ask you, Coach Beth Torina, what meal or food item would be on your Masters Champions Dinner menu? Man, it would be like the most eclectic group of food that you could ever get. It would be like some chips and salsa and guac with some sushi, especially like some like little citrusy type sushi and then finishing it off with like eggplant Parmesan. I would like hit all the different like Mexican. I would hit the Italian. I would hit the sushi. I would really just like get a vast array widespread for mine. I would be my dream meal. It's like my last meal. Like if anything happens, just throw all that at me and you know, let me just go for it. So are you a big sushi person? A huge. That's probably number one for me. What would be your ideal role? Well, we have some really good ones here in Baton Rouge. The drunken fish margarita roll, really, really good. Um, salmon zest roll at Rock and Saki. When you come to town, check that one out. I, I can tell you all the all the spots for the sushi in town. Well, I, I once again will be ready to request any and every restaurant once we come back to Baton Rouge. <laughs> You got it. I'm ha- I'm happy to I'm happy to make some recommendations. I like to eat. Amazing. So do we. Beth Tarina joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for joining us again here on Softball Media Days and best of luck this year. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll see you soon. Welcome back. All right. So you heard it from Beth Tarina. Like this is a team that is in a great spot. They don't lose a ton. The pitching staff is going to be strong. Sidney Brazan was so good as a freshman. Kelly Lynch is going to throw. And looking at the document, Tom, like every hitter is back. Like th- this is an LSU team that should conceivably be a preseason at worst top 12 team nationally and should be probably preseason top five yeah. in the SEC. The question is, will they do it? They should be for sure. Uh, yeah, everyone's back except for Georgia Clark. True. By the way, hit a home run or had an RBI every time we watched last year. Uh, <laughs> so who's going to do it now? Who will be that? We're person? going to watch LSU score at some point right. this year. Yes. Who is going to be that person uh, to pick up the slack there? But yeah, you're right. So much back offensively for them, and I think one of the biggest portal wild cards this year is going to be Lynch. Yeah. You know, someone who had so much fanfare when she came into Washington uh, was going to be, you know, the heir apparent in the circle for them it was going to be you know she was just going to be the next jackie trainer for washington basically yeah um and had some moments but never really had that type of a career there big big pickup for uh for lsu 
Uh, we'll see if she's able to make the type of splash when she comes out to the SEC and Baton Rouge that she wasn't quite able to reach in Washington. And presumably while pitching more. Right. You know, it, it was especially the latter part of her Washington career was first base DP for the most part. Yeah. And, and I think there were some injury issues there. As yeah. Well. And the way that Beth Tarina talked about it, it sounds like she's the number two is kind of the way I took it. So, I mean, we'll see I, again, like this is an LSU team that should be really good. And I don't know why they haven't been the last few years, the staff shakeups, you know, might help. But I think that when you've got a juggernaut stretch at the end of conference play, like at Florida, Auburn, at Tennessee and Arkansas, who you better take care of business in the front half. Yeah. Take care of your business in the front half. And then, you know, like we just talked about with, uh, with uh, Florida, is okay if you take care of your business during earlier stretches you can make you can make hay in the uh big time matchups later on but you got to have that you have to have taken care of your business earlier uh and i i don't want to make it sound like just lsu has just been terrible right that they kind of had a similar situation to alabama in 2022 they've had good seasons and good years but they've not ended right 2020 lsu might have won the league that was at the time looking to like the best team in the conference yeah so yeah, they kind of they had the bad luck there that a lot of us did yeah. <laughs> of 2022. Uh, excuse me, of 2020, and then you know just again they've they've had those swoons. They've had a couple of bad weeks during the conference or during the regular season, which has affected their seating, which has affect made the either the regionals or super regionals even tougher than they would have been, and they they haven't been able to advance past. It. And they keep getting Louisiana. They keep, right when those type of matchups happen. Everyone said, oh, too bad for Louisiana. Well, too bad for LSU. It's not, they're right. not excited. <laughs> right. They've seen these people. So, oh, man. Yeah. It's, it, it, so I, I don't want to make it sound like we're just bashing on LSU. LSU's had good seasons, but they have not ended the way they wanted them to. Texas A&M. You know, they were picked bottom half, bottom third of the SEC, got to the middle of the pack, and it seems like in year two under Trisha Ford, sky might be the limit. They're, they're still kind of – Playing with house money. Yeah. Just keep just keep on improving, keep and, on getting better. And playing in the Taj Mahal of, course, of softball yes. stadiums. You know, they're one of those teams, if they can get things going, it's gonna they're gonna be a juggernaut that's hard to stop because they have so all the facilities, they have everything behind them. And and yes, and we know they have the money. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that when we come back. <laughs> Still haven't been paid seventy five million dollars not to do this pod. Right. Although I'm taking the offer. I will also say that to me counts as a five-star review that someone's like, I won't dish out the cash because I like the podcast so much. Okay, well, there you go. (laughs) We'll step aside, see if a check has come in. If not, we'll be back with Texas A&M. All right, here we are. Off to College Station we go. No check. No? Yeah. Still Mm. poor. Oh, man. Don't ask for your money back. Again. (laughs) Free. Free pod. <laughs> Our sponsor, Jimbo Fisher. If you'd like to sponsor the pod. <laughs> and Jimbo Fisher, we know <laughs> you got right. we know you got it. And you have the time. Yes. What else are you gonna be doing? <laughs> uh, not coaching football. Here yeah. we go. Texas AM, Trisha Ford. You would never see me again. <laughs> no. If someone paid me $75 million to not do something. I will take it to the island or the beach, and you will never see me. Well, I hope you'll keep your phone on. Maybe. (laughs) It'll be a small list of contacts. 
that I will accept calls and or texts. But your overseas bank account person, <laughs> Jordan Belfer, what's going on? Okay, what were we talking about? Trisha Ford. Texas A&M, right. Yes. When we talk money, it's Texas A&M. <laughs> and Trisha Ford has a lot to say. And this is one of my favorite interviews that, that we do during this series. She gives a lot of credit to a lot of people on staff, a lot of credit to Coach Evans, talking about how the roster has been built since she arrived and how she's been able to keep it intact. Oh, and, uh, you know, listen to the end because that's when the giggles take over. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this this episode of the pod of SC Media Days. I'm only here for one of the four interviews. <laughs> this is called the Tom's Not Here because right. he got paid $75 million episode. <laughs> right. I wish. <laughs> so Just regular job, not quite $75 million. Let's just go to the interview. Yes. Our apologies to Texas A&M. This is probably not the intro that they wanted, but the interview hopefully is everything that Aggies have been looking forward to. Here it is, Texas A&M head coach Trisha Ford. Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson, please be joined by the second-year head coach at Texas A&M, Trisha Ford, hopping on out of College Station. Coach Ford, good to see you. How are you? Great. How are you? I am fantastic. It is always fun to be in late November, early December talking about softball because, as I'm sure you know, the offseason no longer exists. And I feel like news is dropping all the time, and we might as well just prepare now. Absolutely. And I feel like it's always a good time to talk about softball. So, I, I mean, you can talk about softball 365 days a year. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I would never be mad about that. In fact, I encourage it. If you see me in the street, please bring up softball no matter what day it is. Coach, yeah. I want to I want to talk about last year with Texas A&M. Uh, obviously, really, really a, a phenomenal year coming, you know, in, in your first year in College Station finishing strong in the SEC, having some strong performances uh, as the season went on down the stretch. When you look back at year one, what were your main takeaways? Um, I guess for me, I was just really excited um, about our growth, you know, both on and off the field. Um, whenever you take over a program, and I think this is really kudos to to Coach Evans, she just did a really good job of, of recruiting really good players um, on and off the field. And so they were very welcoming. They were very, you know, um, I don't know, thirsty to kind of learn and, and something different and really kind of dove in um, head first. And I think that's why you, we saw such a, a really large uptick from kind of where we were before um, to where they, you know, we ended up last year um, in conference play. And, and, you know, if you look at our pre-conference tournament schedule, it was pretty gnarly, but it got us really prepared for, I think, SEC play. And so I think, you know, thinking about our pitchers and, and you know, just Shaylee Ackerman coming in and really, you know, picking up some innings that she hadn't picked up in her career. Emily Kennedy stepping up for us, being a starter, middle reliever, closer, you know, um, kind of, I was like, Em's your arm attached. She's like, yep, give me the ball. And so I think you look at a lot of those things, you know, Julie Cottrell was huge for us. Um, you know, just some things fell into place that I think helped us, you know, kind of start off on, on the right foot. Mm -hmm. and, and you're at a place that is that is different from most colleges. And I know that because I've got family that went to A&M that's been covered on this podcast. You've now experienced it for a year. What did you learn from year one, specifically at Texas A&M, that you can take into year two in College Station? 
Oh gosh. Um, I think the biggest thing is they, they love their Aggies. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are or, or what sport you are. They want to see them succeed. They want to support them to succeed. Um, you always hear about it, but not until you really uh, experience it. Do you understand kind of what that means of Aggies, you know, help Aggies. And um, I think there's a huge service community here, a kind of an underlying feel in Aggie land, um, whether it be through the student athletes, through the 12th man, uh, through the fan base um, that's maybe not, you know, a former student, um, but really that 12th man feel of serving your your fellow next to you is really something that you don't understand until you're part of it. And, you know, some people look at it and they're like, you guys are a little crazy there, but really we're just a big family. And we really, you know, we we support each other both in all kind of stages of our of our career. And I don't think you get that anywhere else. I mean, this is one of the most traditional schools that you can find out there. And uh, to be a part of it is just, um, I don't know, it's just amazing. And what was it about year one that made you feel that familial aspect? Because everything you're saying, I'm thinking, yes, of course, you know, knowing my grandparents and knowing that the Aggie wore him plays the minute I walk in the door there and knowing my mom wearing the Aggie ring right now, wherever she is, what was it about college station and the Aggie family that made you feel that so immediately when you arrived? Well, I would say first and foremost, the administration, and then it would be our players, um, really kind of letting you know, like, hey, this is the Aggie way. This is what we do. This is how we do it. The players at practices teaching us all the yells and like, we're all laughing at each other, you know, but like, it was a loving laugh of like, you guys, you know, keep practicing, getting it together. I just think there's just an inclusivity here that you don't see at other universities. And it's all directed towards one thing like how to be a great Aggie and I don't think you get that at a lot of universities um and so I think you know it's just embedded in everything that our players as a student they get in in life as how to serve and how to be a great Aggie and so I think you know the the community um you know our first and I think I said this last year like first couple of months here, I was like, there's no way that people are this nice. Like, you know, I'm like, this is going to rub off. We're going to lose some ball games, like, you know, things. And, and they really are. I mean, they're very, uh, very helpful. I had one of our donors, I'm flying in for an event this weekend and I had to change my flight because I'm uh, doing some family stuff. And he's like, I'll come pick you up from the airport. And I'm like, absolutely not. It's, you know, it's an hour away. And he's like, not a problem at all. And I'm like, and then he texted me again this morning and he was like, are you sure you don't need me to come? And that's just really this community. And, and I just don't feel like you get that in all, you know, in a lot of different places. So um, it's, it's that serve mentality that I think is just very unique. Absolutely. And it is definitely a special place. I've been lucky to experience it multiple times. And speaking especially, I already talked about some of your pitchers from last year. I felt like coming away from A&M in 2023, that was one of the big stories. You know, you had a pitching staff with some really impressive arms and Emily Kennedy, Emily Levitt, Shaylee Ackerman, and they're all back. So what have they done to take that bigger step forward going into 2024? Yes. Um, I always seem to sneak in pitching right away. I don't know why, you know, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, all of them, I've been really proud of their, um, kind of 
um, like their, their, their want to like jump in and, and really kind of have the confidence to make some adjustments. And so this fall, I took away Emily Kennedy's two favorite pitches, her best, she, you know, her most comfortable pitches. I said, no, you're not going to throw them. You're going to learn how to pitch and win games and be effective with these three pitches. Well, we have uh, reinsert them in yes but i wanted her to learn how to pitch how to how to really command different locations and different um zones um how to be able to throw the off speed effectively um and so i think you know at first it was a little bit of a panic and and you understand like they're 18 to 22 year old okay i'm going to take away your best pitch and you're going to go oh go go ahead and go out there and compete and so um, I was really proud of her of like being able to kind of work through that and be like, okay, like I accept this challenge. Um, I know that's for the best of me and kind of go from there. Emily um, Levitt um, as another one that really wanted to dive into her mechanics of her, of her pitch and clean some things up. And this fall has been rough for her, but not rough in a bad way. And, and, and her and I talk about this, like when you're making adjustments and changing things, you have to go through the uck, right? in order to like figure it out. And then, you know, you see the, the shine, the sun shines on the other end. And so, I don't know, I was just really proud of her of like being able to like dive into it, not have as much success as she did last year, but she has the confidence and she knows that she's going to get back to that. And she's just going to work through some things here. That's really going to help elevate her game come April, May, and June. Um, Shaylee Ackerman is another kid though. Like I, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, who'd only thrown maybe 15 innings prior to 30 innings, you know, and her four, you know, years. And last year, you know, threw well over that. I think she threw over 70 innings for us. And so last year was really her year to be a freshman, right? Like, yes, I can pitch at this level continuously. Um, and, and so this, this fall has been neat because she's also kind of taken on some new things because she's just more confident in her skin and her ability to, to make some adjustments. So, um, you know, I can talk pitching forever, but just really, really excited about kind of where they're at and, and what I think they're able, they're going to be able to do this year. Cause that's pitching. Look, think about how much film is out there. You got to be able to reinvent yourself. You got to be able to add something to the table and, and all three of them, I've been really pleased to that they're, they're going down that road. Well, I'll give you another chance. I want to talk about Brooke Vestal as well, who you added out of the portal. And I remember last year, Kaylee Tao and I were sitting in the TV booth and we turned on an Ole Miss game and we were like, how is the ball doing that? <laughs> it, it moves in a way that is humanly impossible. Yeah. What? So, I, I mean, that's got to be thrilling to add somebody with that kind of capability on a staff that's already so diverse. Yes. And so um, funny story, same thing. So Brooke obviously pitched against us when we were at Ole Miss last year and our batters and our players would tell you like in game, like I'm a fierce competitor. Right. And they are swinging and they're laughing and looking in the dugout. And I am like, what is so funny? Like, this is not funny. Like she's making you look and they're like, coach, it's literally like a Scooby-Doo ball or a um, Snoopy ball, like just kind of, and I'm like, there's no way. And then you get, like the video and you're like, okay, this is, yeah. Um, she has been just huge for our bullpen. She's been a part of very successful programs, be it Ole Miss and Oklahoma. Um, just, you know, we got lucky. She wanted to get close to home her, her last year. Um, and so for me, she just brings a whole layer of diversity into our program from a pitching standpoint. 
she's picked up, you know, on some of her pitches upwards of seven miles an hour on her velo. Mm. Um, and her, I mean, her break is just dynamic. And what I've been really proud of her is her being able to increase her velo, but still maintain her pitch design um, and, and being able to keep that, 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 that break profile. And so I'm excited to see her this year. And, and of course, we're going to have ups and downs, but I think she's, she's, you know, in, in the position to have a really, really um, just finish her, her career and on such a high note. Well, Coach, let's transition over to the offense. You bring back your top five hitters, batting average-wise, including RBI leader last year, Julia Cottrell, who I remember had that insane game against Missouri that I was sitting in the other room watching, and I was like, my gosh, this kid is insane. What needs to happen for the offense to take another step forward this year? Because overall, the team numbers were solid, but you've got so many returners coming back that I'm sure you're thinking of improvement. Yeah, I mean, I think we added some really good pieces. Um, I think, you know, Coco is dynamic um, and just somebody that can beat teams in a lot of different um, ways. And I think what we really needed to do was just mature and understand our system. We're a very simple staff. We don't try to overcomplicate things. And sometimes when you come from a, um, a place where it was like, okay, zero, zero count, you're hunting this and one, oh, you're going to hunt this. And, and, and we're not that. And so I think really kind of getting them to understand of what we do and how we do it and why we do it. I think um, you've really, I've really seen this fall, our offense, you know, just tick up quite a bit. Um, but Julia is kind of a crazy person. Um, she, we said that the joke was we're going to take her dad with us on the road on every <laughs> game. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have, you know, she's a, she's a COVID senior. Um, we have, like I said, Julia, um, and we have Coco, we have Keely Williams who had a, a great year last year for us, very solid year, but they got hurt. Amari Harper is kind of our sleeper kid that put up some great numbers and just somebody that turned the lineup over or just kind of got the job done. Um, and, and so I'm just, I don't know. I, I think we're going to move in a really good direction. Allie Enright's had a really good fall. Um, and I think we're going to be able to kind of, you know, just keep surprising people, just keep, you know, my biggest thing is, is I don't really listen to the noise. I don't care what our preseason ranking is. I don't really care about any of that. What I care about is us, our bubble, who we are, how we play the game every single day and, and practice. And so that's really where our, our, our heads are, are at. And I feel like last year we did a pretty good job of that, which is why we surprised so many people. Um, and I think this year we'll do the same thing. I mean, Trinity Canyon, that's another one. I, I think I left her out, um, she, you know, her and Rylan. Rylan Wiggins, how about hits better in conference play than she does in pre-conference play? That's not you normal I mean? either. <laughs> no. Yeah. Come on. Um, and so, you know, I just think everybody kind of understands what our system is now. And so they're much more comfortable and we'll we'll probably take some more chances offensively. Um, we have a little bit more um, speed in our in our lineup now, and I think that will put some pressure on some defense. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about these returner, or excuse me, these portal kids as well, because it is it is a good group, a strong group. Candy Powell coming from UCLA, she was really impressive her freshman year. Sav Price, Kylie Griffin, Jasmine Hill from Arizona State, Kramer Eshte, who I saw both at Louisiana and in the FGCL this past summer. That's a that's a big group of people who can make an impact. We also just listed seven or eight returners who can make an impact. How do you yeah. make all of that gel here this year? Yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like at the beginning of fall, it was 
it was work and it's, you have to be intentional with it. But at the end of the day, we all want to win. We want to win softball games at a very high rate. And so for me going from last year, especially on the infield where we had absolutely no depth, like Coco, Hey, you're going to play with a broken finger. And she's like, absolutely. Like, I'm not, you know, like this, all of those, those pieces, we have a lot more depth this year, but what we're able to do in practice is what, and something that made us very successful at ASU is intensify our practices, which help elevate our gameplay. So if our practices are hard and we're pushing each other um, and we know that, you know, there's somebody right next to me that's working just as hard, that's just as good, that only makes you and your team better. And so that's what's really been fun and enjoyable about this fall is being able to have those types of practices with good energy, a little bit of smack talking, um, but really kind of push each other. And it's really, it's helped elevate our level of play. So I'm excited to kind of put it all together and playing against somebody else. Cause we've been playing against each other. Right. And so, yeah. um, I don't know, I, I think we're, we're going to surprise some people. Um, and I don't know, I, I really have enjoyed this group. They, they mesh well, and we just finished some of our, um, end of fall meetings. And that was like the overarching theme of just, I really like this team. I really enjoy this team. And so those are some really special pieces that you can't really coach off on the field. So that's the second time you brought up, I think we're going to surprise some people. So I've got to ask, you know, in, in the audio that everyone listening is about to hear, I call your team the biggest wild card in the SEC this year. I feel like it's a squad that nobody's really talking about because so many different teams take up a lot of oxygen. But yep. you you did so well last year in year one, and the natural positive trajectory would say, well, they're going to get a little bit better. Do you relish that role of kind of being, not necessarily the underdog, but kind of being the dark horse that maybe sneaks yep. up on people? Absolutely, and I don't want you to talk about us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of the interview. Thank you, Trisha. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, absolutely. I just think that um, Texas A&M, for whatever reason, is just kind of people just kind of push it aside or, you know, that when they're talking about softball. And I think if you look at obviously what we did last year and, and what I think we're capable of doing this year, um, I think we'll start to really kind of pop up into some some discussions that I think will, you know, prove 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 some people wrong. And I enjoy being in that role. I think that's where I find my edge. I think even if we were a preseason pick to, you know, so Tennessee or Georgia, right? Tennessee won conference last year. Um, I think every good coach finds a way for you to feel like you're the underdog. You know, um, when I was at Fresno State, we basically went undefeated in conference play one year. And I said, hey, everybody has their number. If they beat us, that's their, you know, you find a way. You find a way to to motivate your team. But I think you always have to play with a chip on your shoulder. That's, that's me in a nutshell is that grit, that fire, that tenacity. I think that's, that's why you, that's why you play this game. Like there's a winner and there's a loser, like you play to win. <laughs> well, coach, if you bring me some Fuego tacos, when A&M comes to Tuscaloosa, I'll say whatever you want me to say. So <laughs> just let me know and I will do what I need to do. Uh, Trisha Ford joining us for softball media days. We haven't even talked about the freshmen yet. You've got four freshmen coming in. What should we be looking for this year from that group as they try and assimilate with all these transfers and returners? Yeah, I think um, they're going to be, I don't know. I think they're going to develop a, a whole lot this year. Um, we have Haley Golden and Scout Lavelle, who is um, 
uh, in the outfield for us. And, and both of them have done a tremendous job of growth this year. They have Keely Williams and Allie Enright, but really Jazz Hill, who played for us for many years um, at, at ASU. Um, I said, hey, take it in, sponge, you know, talk to Jazz, talk, you know, let her talk the game with you because as freshmen, sometimes you're just kind of living, right? And and um, you're not really kind of taking it in. And sometimes that year kind of goes really quickly and you're like, what happened? And I said, that scout, like that's what you want to do is you want to make sure that every day you're at practice, you're talking to Jazz, talking the game, because you don't want to waste those opportunities to get that information out of her because Jazz was in your shoes four years ago, you know? Um so I think those two have done a tremendous job. I think uh, Maya Perez and Reagan Jones have also um, had, had a very a, a filled uh, fall full of learning. Um, Maya it comes to us as one of the most prolific hitters, I think, in her class um, and, and somebody that can do a lot of damage. But she's also learning that, you know, good pitching can beat good hitting and like how she's going to get pitched to and can she cover and, you know, think. Things that maybe don't happen in travel ball happen at college. And she has to realize, you know, that she can't hunt every pitch in the zone. You know, she's got to figure out where her swing lines up. And so she's been good. And Jazz has actually taken her under her wing as well and kind of teaching her how to be a great hitter, like studying the game, like these things, all these intangibles that you can't, you don't get done in practice. That's not when you get better. You get better because you're a student of the game. You come in. You're looking at your swing. You understand your swing mechanics. You, those types of things are the, what make you great and really kind of help you get to that next level. So Maya's learning um, and she's she hit some big balls and um, she also had some big misses this fall. And so I think for her, that's been it's been good for her, though, trying to figure out, like, how does this all work together? So I've been super happy with her and, and, and I think she's going to do some really good things for our program in the next four years. Um, Jonesy is another one, our last freshman. She has been a shortstop, a third baseman. And I said, Jonesy, we need another catcher. She said, I'll do it. So she's been catching for us. Um, and how cool is that to have somebody, especially as a freshman, be like, absolutely. Like, what does the team need? And and I was like, catching is the hardest position. It's not like, oh, I'm a shortstop and I'll go play right field. Like, no, you're going to go catch. And she has, I mean, just taken it on uh, like a champ. Julia and Grayson Coleman have done a tremendous job of um, taking her in under their wings, teaching her the way, being very encouraging, spending extra time with her. And she's she's really, you know, kind of picked it up pretty quick. And she played she caught a little bit when she was younger, but it's been, you know, six, seven years. So, um, but yeah, so she'll, she'll have, she'll take this year to kind of serve in that role and play a little third base for us as well. But um, I think it's going to be a good learning year for those freshies. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I saw Maya Perez and, and Reagan Jones when I called the Alliance all-star game, uh, whenever that was, I don't know the the past few months have been a whirlwind, but it was, it was interesting to watch them play and to see the talent that's already coming into your program so fast. Yeah. The, both of them, we were, we were, uh, I was very pleased. So Jonesy was already committed to A&M when we took the, the job. Um, and we were like, yes, absolutely. We want to keep her. Yes. Check. <laughs> Thank right? you. Coach Evans. Well yes, done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
um, Haley Gold in the same way. Um, and Scout and Maya were both with us at, they were committed to us at ASU. Um, and so we've known them a long time. And for Scout, this was an easy transition because she's a Texas kid. So she was, you know, she's in her backyard now. She's much closer to Loveland than she was, would have been if she was going to, to, to Phoenix. So, um, but yeah, so we're excited about them. I love that. Well, coach, I'm going to give you another chance to talk about pitching because it's time to look at the big picture stuff. And of course we start with rule changes. It was a rule change year. We saw pitching rules adjust. I'm sure you have thoughts. We saw obstruction clarified. You probably have thoughts on that as well. They've added things to the replay list. We've got the safety bag. The pitch clock is something that a lot of coaches have really harped on. Was there anything that you were super pumped to see announced this year when that document came out? <laughs> pumped. Uh... <laughs> or whatever emotion yeah, that you no, were feeling. Like, no, I was just kidding. Um, I... I think the anything that speeds speeds up our game but doesn't really um, affect our game, I think is really smart on our part. Um, for us to be able to stay in that window um, and put on a great product, which I think we do time and time again, which is why our sport's growing so much, um, especially in the viewership world. So the one-way communication, the pitch clock, all of that I think is makes a lot of sense. Um, both from a business standpoint um, and, and also it doesn't really affect our game, our, our, our pace of play. I mean, it affects our pace of play, but doesn't really affect our, our game, um, the outcome. Um, the other ones, I'm going to be honest with you. I just, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we try to be really different than baseball or make, you know, do something out of the box. And, and really I would like us to just kind of clean it up. And uh, I would like, to, here's my two things that I really would like. One of them is not a rule, but in the travel ball area, your catcher never runs. So whenever mm. your catcher gets a hit in travel ball, so they've grown up their whole entire life, not running, but here, when they come to college, they have to run bases. That's crazy. I just feel like all of the rules should just be kind of universal. And then uh, in the international game, because obviously I've been with USA a little bit, it's what whoever was the last out when your catcher is on base has to pinch run. So there's no gamemanship kind of in it. It's just whoever was the last out, they go get the catcher, and then the catcher comes um, when you get to two outs to help kind of speed up the game. So that's my one rule that I wish we would is just kind of clean it up. All the pitching rules and stuff, like nobody still really even knows What's going to be a replant? What's a crow hop? We can't get any clarification. I'm like, can we just make, what, what's the international? What's ASA? What's U-Trip? Like, what's college? Can we just get them all on the same page? Like, what are we going to really regulate? We said we were going to regulate the crow hop. We never regulated the crow hop. So, like, what are we doing? You know? And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm one of those with kind you. of girls. Yeah. I'm like, let's make the umpire worry about balls and strikes safe and out i feel like so, they have sometimes they struggle with that as That's it is <laughs> yeah so let's not get everything else in it so uh -oh. oh all right coach you know what? i'm gonna throw trouble. it no, yeah. I'm going to throw it back. I'm going to throw it back. You're one of this media days venture. We asked all the coaches, if you were the czar of college softball, what would be your first proclamation? Did we just hear yours? Is that what you would do if you were the czar? It might be. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. If you get me going, I might have some more, but that's, that's enough tonight. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, coach, you know what? Hit us up in season, if anything. If you yeah, ever okay, need to vent, we have an off the wall segment that's perfect for that. So just okay. let us know. <laughs> Trisha Ford, the Texas AM head coach, joining us on Softball Media Days. Coach, uh, the last time that we did this last year, we were talking about realignment with Oklahoma and Texas coming in. Since then, things have totally gone i don't even know if a rise the right word but things are just totally different you're the school you were just coaching in arizona state is now joining the big 12. we've yep. seen ucla go to the big 10 conference realignment has completely shredded the pac-12 which you know from a softball perspective is is devastating and all of these moves are being made with football in mind if we're being completely honest they're being moved or they're being decided because of college football and nobody is thinking about softball baseball, soccer, women's tennis, men's tennis, golf, all those sports. Do you have concerns about the shifting landscape of college athletics as a whole and what that could mean for softball's future? Um, I think we're going to figure it out. I am very happy that I'm in the SEC, I'll tell you that. Um, the land of chartered flights and kind of being the land of haves, honestly, just being straight up, like, you want to be there because um, I think our conference just got better. I mean, adding um, Texas and Oklahoma, you talk about if, even if we just played conference games, you talk about some good softball, that's legit, you know, top to bottom. And so, I mean, I think overall from the sport perspective, you always have concerns. I think there's a lot of concerns with, especially with some of the litigation going on in, in the courts of what is college athletics going to look like in three, four, five years, I, I don't know. And what are we going to be able to survive? Are we going to be able to, what is it going to look like? I mean, nobody would have ever thought you, I started off in the pack at Stanford, right? And I would have, I would have bet my life that the pack 12, the then it was a pack 10 would always be there. Like it would never go away. And so I don't know that I can really wrap my head of what college athletics is going to be, but I do know one thing constant is change. And so, um, I'm, I'm very thankful and, and grateful to be at the, in the sec, to be honest with you, because I think we are always going to be at the forefront of the, of change. And I think we're the conference that people are trying to chase. And so, um, you know, I think it, it's going to be interesting though. Like, what is that? I, I went to St. Mary's college. What is that going to look like for St. Mary's college? I mean, are we going to have different levels of division one? I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. So um, I honestly don't spend a whole lot of time on it because I think it's going to change so much. So I'm like, how am I going to win softball games this year? That's kind of <laughs> where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, no, that's why we've been holding off on a realignment episode for the last four months, because we just assume something will change. But but does it make your head spin that that Stanford program you were just talking about is now in the ACC? <laughs> I, yeah, like, oh my, yeah, I just, so coach Leba, uh, Eric Leba, who came from Oregon state and then myself, we were both like, we got out in time, you know, like, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and so I don't know, it's just, it's, it's going to be interesting. And, and at what point do we stop, you know, making this all about football, um, is at that point, I mean, there's a lot of, um, financial gain that obviously they bring to not only the university, but the athletic department. I mean, that's a whole different animal. And so, um, you know, we'll see, we just, you know, you know, A&M right now is in the, in the news for, you know, Jimbo's buyout and we just hired uh, coach Elko, who I think is going to be phenomenal, but you know, you just, 
there's just a lot of things that kind of play into those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and speaking of being at the forefront of change, another conversation in the SEC that's happened the last few years and is ongoing is the possibility of going back to a neutral site SEC softball tournament. That was something that happened way, way long ago, but now it's kind of being discussed behind the scenes. Is that something that you're for or against, or have you not even really given it a ton of thought? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some really good things about doing it at a neutral site. Um, I think from a um, being able to put on a a well-rounded event, you know, and not really draining all of the staff at that time of year, I think is hard. The other problem that I uh, personally, and I only went through it last year, I thought Arkansas did a great job, but you rip the heck out of your field. Think mm -hmm. about all the practices that have to go on prior to the tournament, how many games like they had, we had rain and lightning during that time. And so you're also trying to get in, you know, 20 games in like four days. It's something crazy, you know? And so, um, and then they're hosting the very next weekend, you know? And so uh, I, I think from just a management standpoint, it makes a little bit more sense to do it at a neutral site. And I think that there's some amenities that can happen when it's at a neutral site that maybe it can't happen, you know, on our campuses. But the one thing that we've really benefited from as a whole conference is our facility upgrades when it's your turn to kind of host. And so you have to really, um, when you talk about like how to help each other and how to make sure that we are always at the forefront when it comes to facilities and conference and, and, and our play, the, that has to be heavily weighed. And so I think that, we have to kind of figure out what outweighs, you know, what the great thing is, is Commissioner Sinke does a great job of making sure that softball is a priority on our campuses um, and our conference office. Again, um, when it comes to the conference office and there is a vision and a voice from the head of the conference office into like softball is important, I think it makes a huge difference. So I don't know. We're kind of we're kind of going back and forth, honestly, as a as a unit and trying to figure out, you know, what what makes the most sense. Well, and coach, as we look at it across the entire sport, you talk about how, you know, the the upgrades are a part of this discussion for the SEC. And and one of the questions that Tom has asked all the coaches, and I wish Tom were here to ask you about it, was about facilities in general, uh, because we've seen over the last half decade to a decade, you know, sellouts at the World Series, even when they've added upper decks, sellouts at the World Games in Hoover, even for the bronze medal match. We've seen Nebraska volleyball and Iowa women's basketball pack football stadiums. Do you feel like we're at the point where administration should be thinking bigger and better when it comes to softball facilities because the interest is definitely out there? A hundred percent, like without a doubt. Like the numbers don't lie. And we talk about that from a softball standpoint, all of our analytics. Well, the analytics don't lie. Um, I think that there is for sure a, a huge contingency that really enjoy the game, understand the game. There's a lot of offense. We've made it very enjoyable for a fan, I believe. And also it fits into today's kind of quote unquote, you know, adults, young adults. It's not very long. It's two hours. You're in, you're out. It's a lot of entertainment. There's strikeouts. I mean, there's just a lot that I think we have to offer. And if you even just look at the viewership that's on TV, those numbers are like 200% higher every, you know, three to four years. That growth has just been, it has been huge. So 
I think you're definitely in those conversations and you're looking at, I mean, Davis diamond is the best in, um, you know, college softball. Yes. I'm jaded. But if you've seen Davis diamond, every coach that's come here, they said, coach, this is the best. And I'm you're like, not alone. I love yeah. Davis diamond. Yeah. I've said many times, just give me a cot. I'll sleep there. I'm good. <laughs> yes, exactly. So my uh, office overlooks it. So it's a rough, it's a rough day to go to school, to work every day, you know, but you, you look at, you know, what these facilities, what they're starting to put together. I think, um, it really kind of showcases what, what we're able to do. And, and you're right. Like World Series, you know, they've made that venue larger and larger and larger. And guess what? We keep filling it, filling it and filling it. So I think it's definitely on, you know, the biggest thing is how do you make us a revenue generating sport? Well, you big bit, you know, you put more butts in the seat. It's very simple. Absolutely. Basic math. Trisha yeah. Ford joining us for Softball Media Days. Coach, the final two things are the fun questions. Uh-oh. As you know, I, no, don't dread it. Don't dread it. <laughs> Embrace it. This is the good stuff. Uh, so first things first, and I know you're just in year two at AM, but you're a fan of the sport. You followed SEC softball for a very long time. I know it. So I know you've got an answer for this. Tom and I will be doing with a couple guests an all-time SEC pitcher draft in a few Ooh. weeks, or we will pick pitchers and build a staff from 97 to the present day. So we've been asking all the coaches outside of your certain footprint, so yep. outside of AM for you. Who, besides Monica Abbott, who will be the number one overall pick, should be on the draft board? You're upset that I put that qualification in. I did. I was going. I'm going to mommy. <laughs> Duh. Okay. Florida had it. Um, I mean, um, when Francesca was playing, this was a while ago. I'm going to date myself. Okay. Are you uh, thinking Stacy Nelson? Yeah, she was a screwballer and she was a yeah, she wouldn't have been on my um oh we had Barnhill. Barnhill was pretty good. I mean I'd take her. She was pretty good, you know. Rogers. Oh, maybe it was Rogers. Yes, it was okay. Rogers. Yeah. Two way player. Yep. Oh, Lauren Hager. Lauren Hager, thank you. That's yes. who I'm thinking of. Sorry. Yep, yeah, yep. Okay, there we go. Hager. I like Hager. Yep. Hager Hager's getting your number one pick besides no, Monica Abbott. Monica's getting my number one pick. <laughs> And then probably Kat Osterman if I'm gonna if I can play in this this lane, but um, but yeah, I I thought Hager was a beast, honestly. I mean Van, uh, what's her name from Alabama? Vander, uh, gosh, you, my head. Are you is... talking about Stephanie Van Brakel? Van Brakel yeah. was pretty good. God, yeah, mm. yeah. I might I might be going Hager. I'm gonna be honest with you. I like that. I like that. Well, Shout out to. Yeah. Shout out to Lauren Hager. Yeah. Who all have you gotten so far? So we've heard a lot of Brittany Sneed from LSU. We've heard a lot of Stacey Nelson, a lot of love for obviously, you know, Monica. And so that's why I had to start putting the moniker on. Uh, But, you know, Kelsey Dunn from Alabama, Chelsea Wilkinson at Georgia has gotten a lot of shout outs. Uh, Nunley at Kentucky uh, took them to the World Series about a decade ago. Um, you know, and I think that that's, what's amazing. And you're, you're experiencing it now. This conference is extremely deep pitching wise. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Hmm. I faced most, we faced most of those pitchers Dunn We faced at Stanford. I don't know that we faced Nelson. Nelson was primarily screwball rise ball, but Mm -hmm. she could put, she could put it. Um, yeah. What you really should do is do pac 10 pac 12 versus sec pitching. There's been some horses in 
both conferences. Oh man. Well, I, I know plenty of Bruins that I can give a call there to. And, <laughs> we'll set it up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Last thing we also discussed on this podcast and, and you know that we love to talk about our food here on out of the box. We discussed our master's champions dinner menu, uh, whenever that rolled around last April. So the champion, you know, gets to set everything apps, entree, dessert, whatever you want on there. It can be okay. cooked by the chefs at Augusta national. So if you Trisha Ford won the masters, what yep. would go on your master's champions dinner menu? I'm going to say a bone-in ribeye, um, Brussels sprouts with vinegar. It has to be the vinegar-based. Yep, I love Brussels. I'm a pretty simple girl. Twice-baked potato and peach pie. Peach, peach pie. Yep. I got to say, the Brussels sprouts, a little bit of a hot take for me. but oh, I, love, I eat them. Yes, I love them. Yep. I, re I respect your choice and I have had good Brussels sprouts. It's just, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm clamoring for it, but Hey, mm. you won the masters. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. I have to have a little bacon in them too. Just, you know, I'm a okay. meat potato kind of girl, but now you know. I'm in, I mean, put bacon okay. in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was easy. Well, I, I, this has been so delightful. Trisha Ford, the head coach of Texas A&M joining us for softball media days coach excited to finally meet you in person. When we see Texas A&M come to Tuscaloosa in a few months and best of luck this year. Thanks and gig em. All right, we're back. So Brussels sprouts, your thoughts. Not a fan. I'm not either. And coach Ford talked about adding bacon, which I'm a fan of. I love adding bacon. Sure. And I told her I was in, in retrospect, maybe, you know, probably not in, but I trust her ability to crank out. What was it? A very good menu. That was, this is, that has been always one of my favorite parts of these interviews has been the, the master's menu question. Mm -hmm. We've gotten a wide range and we'll continue to do so. Uh, there, even the, even ones are necessarily food, uh, foods I wouldn't normally eat. I'm willing to give it a shot because they, they've made it sound so good. Yeah. Shout out to Courtney Difel's husband who hopefully will make us a steak. Perhaps I, we'll see. I'm always in for a steak. I'm look like we'll bring the meat. Sure. We'll just have just, you use your grill. <laughs> Mr. Difel. Yeah. Uh, -huh. uh, Texas A&M conference slate. South Carolina at Mississippi State, Auburn at LSU, Kentucky at Alabama, Ole Miss at Florida. I don't see Georgia. I don't see Tennessee. I don't see Arkansas. That is why I think this Texas A&M team is the biggest wild card, because outside of maybe South Carolina, who has those other teams on the schedule, but they're at home, so I feel like it's a good matchup if they want to win the league. This is an A&M team that can maybe fly under the radar because they really don't play most of the main contenders. Yeah, it can be a team that if they can keep just two wanting and two wanting and you know just just keep on rolling with some of these uh, 50 50 type matchups, they could roll into the matchup with LSU or with Alabama or Florida at the end of the year uh, with an opportunity to really put themselves high up in the league standings. I will point out though, opening weekend, a couple games against Lehigh. Oh, look out! Don't take that for granted, Texas A&M. Do not sleep on the Mountain Hawks. You don't just walk into Bethlehem. No. Or have the Bethlehemites walk into you and expect to win. Have we told the story from Clearwater about Lehigh? I don't think so. Podcast? Do you want to dive in? Okay, real quick. So 
we go to the Clearwater Elite Invitational, presented by Evo Shield. Yes. Last year. Which has since changed names, but right. we'll get to that next year. Still by Evo Shield, but there's other things going on. Yes. Okay, so our parking is a few blocks away from the actual uh, facility. So we're walking, and uh, a van pulls up. Very nice lady asks, hey, you guys want to ride? And, yeah. So we get our get our uh, equipment, radio equipment in there, and, and she's driving us, and he says, you guys with Al- obviously with Alabama, we're wearing all our Alabama stuff. And says, so you guys had a had a tough start to the season last uh, last week. Yeah, we, yeah, you know, lost to Lehigh the first game of the season. And she's like, I went to Lehigh. <laughs> like, wow. She said, thanks for playing us. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, she, I, I very vividly remember she said, like, it was such a big deal for us. And said, yeah, we, yeah. we know Glad we could be able to, glad we could help you out. Just trying to make make you feel good, ma'am. <laughs> and she was a lovely woman, and we had a great time. Yes, and we are very appreciative of yes. the ride. That is a long walk with not the lightest of radio equipment. But what are the odds running into a mountain hawk? First of all, right. at all. Right. Second of all, at a at this specific softball tournament, and third of all, when we did right right after playing. By the way, Lehigh not in that tournament. No. <laughs> She's just a local right. who likes softball. Sure. And, and somehow got a ticket into that very small facility. Yeah. Host a great tournament. Lehigh, don't sleep on them. Yeah, Texas A&M, take care of your business. Mm. Opening weekend. Uh, the Aggies? Oh, oh, I mean, we'll see. I think they're going to be good. I'm actually quite certain, like, this is maybe bold. I'm, I'm fairly certain they're going to be top half in the league just because of that schedule. Wow, yeah. But... How far do they go? It, it depends on whether they can get those extra games against the LSU's and Alabama's and South Carolina's and Florida's. Yeah, that's one of those that if they can really, if they can steal a series somewhere that they're not expected to vi- to win. Yeah, get a you know say you know beat Auburn, beat LSU, one of those series, they can really get themselves in a good spot. That's a good spot to wrap up the Texas A&M portion and head into the coda, if you will, mm. of day three. All right. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. A See, busy day, the longest podcast we've ever done. Very much. And the conclusion is where we kind of sometimes go off the rails. I think we're already there. So we'll see what happens. Perhaps it could be the, you know, the perfect cherry on top to these four hours. We'll find out when we return. It's time to wrap up day three of 2023 softball media days here on the other box podcast. Gray and Tom hanging out in the studio. We uh, had Georgia as part of this day of softball media days. If you'd have left Tuscaloosa when this podcast started, you're probably pulling into Athens right now. <laughs> For the second time after coming <laughs> back to Tuscaloosa. Sure. When we put together the plan for the teams, not all of the interviews were done. Mm-hmm. Normally, in past years, I've taken interview length into account, wanting the episodes to all kind of be the right size and about the same amount of time. That didn't happen this year. So just thank you for listening to this entire thing. And I'm glad that we had these lengthy interviews with all these head coaches, but it it is a lot. And so if you made it through and you listen to everybody. God bless you. I mean, amazing. Seriously. (laughs) Really well done. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, probably. Hell, happy Easter. We were pro- like, we've probably gotten to April. Right. I was like, why, why are they predicting Texas A&M? The season's over. We know what happened. 
those Lehigh games where <laughs> it just went on and on. I just watched them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you to Florida, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M, Tim Walton, Tony Baldwin, Beth Tarina, Trisha Ford. What a day three. Four teams that I think all have dignifiers in the conference this year in some form or fashion, as we talked about Florida. Biggest question mark. Georgia, biggest threat. LSU, a biggest something. But I, I don't know if we even necessarily know what that blank is. And then A&M, a team that's just in the weeds, ready to pop out. That also means we only have one day left. And I know of one guy we haven't heard from yet. Who would that be? The Hall of Famer. Oh, yes. Who I saw at the SEC Championship, by the way. Yeah. I was walking down the hallway, <laughs> and I go to one of my friends, huh, is that Murph? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Ryan I. Murray pops out yes. from a crowd and says, it is, and I'm here too. <laughs> I did. I, I I started to call people to see if we were having a watch party, and they was like, no, everyone's there. <laughs> Everyone went. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Alabama's next uh, for day four. It'll be Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, and then the fall ball special, which will be a ton of fun. Yeah, so we'll look back at uh, what seems like it's been a long time ago now, but uh, <laughs> look back at what happened in fall ball. and we'll, What, since the start of this episode? Or I what? know, right, oh, yes, that too. <laughs> but, yes, the, take a look at what happened in fall. I know a lot of people had questions if they weren't able to make it into Tuscaloosa for some of those games, so we'll talk about how great almost everybody looked. <laughs> so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, mailbag, we got a lot of stuff coming up on the next next segment. Yeah, that's right, folks. I have stats. Do you see them, Tom? They're in bold. They are in bold. They're yes. in bold, and they're accurate, and they are here in front of me. And they'll be read to you, the public, mm. for day four. The secret is about to come out. Wow. You'll all learn. It'll be crazy. Yes. Tom, if the people want to see your thoughts about, God, what what is there to talk about? Oh my God! Here in this day and time, in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty three. One thing I've I've figured out here today, I think, is that I probably need to unfollow about half the people I follow <laughs> on the Twitter. But if you'd like to follow me, T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. It's just a rousing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm at Gray G R A Y underscore Robertson where you can follow the show at outofbox underscore pod. Leave a review, subscribe. Again, thank you to everybody. With that, day three of Softball Media Days is finished. We're almost done. And the finale is coming up. That'll be Friday, December 8th. This will not be a finale like Lost that is oft debated. No, 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 no. This will be everything you've been looking forward to and more. This is the good place finale. We will tie up all the loose ends. Yes. No questions. No one will be wondering why polar bears were around after this finale. No. Nope. I thought they were wondering it before. They're certainly not going to be. It's a question I often ask myself. We'll talk with the head coaches from Alabama, Auburn, and Ole Miss. And then, of course, our fall ball special. That'll be next time for my partner, Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. we got to go back to the island.